You're here with a mission, sir? I am. Trying to get me back in the world? Trying to save it. You think you're the only superhero in the world? You become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. What if I told you we were putting a team together? Who's we? I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. This is now playing's Avengers Retrospective Series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. Part of the now playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. Well, I guess that's worth a look. Hosted by Arnie. Ain't no thing like me, said me. Jacob. Nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I will catch it. And Stuart. I am blue. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies featuring the superheroes Iron Man. I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. The Incredible Hulk. He was a freak accident. The goal is to do it better. Thor. You're big. Fourth bigger. Captain America. How many of you are ready to help me suck old Adolf on the job? Guardians of the Galaxy. What a bunch of a-holes. And the Avengers. I have an army. We have a Hulk. Let me emphasize that what I'm about to share with you is tremendously sensitive both to me personally and the army. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Listener discretion is advised. I've always been more curious than cautious. So, are we going to do this? Gentlemen... You're up. Today we're discussing The Guardians of the Galaxy, starring Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, Lee Pace, Michael Rooker, Karen Gillian, John C. Riley, Glenn Close, Benicio Del Toro, Josh Brolin... Ton of people. Rob Zombie was even in here somewhere. What? Rob Zombie was there. Well, his voice at least. All right. This is Arnie. Who? Arnie, man. Legendary podcaster. Come on, guys. Ah, forget it. Stuart in L.A.? Hey, I may be an a-hole, but I'm not 100% a dick. This is Jacob. So here it is. Now, guys, I was putting together my notes for this show, and something occurred to me. This is really a first. I know that this is part of our Avengers retrospective. But two things that may not have occurred to you guys. First, I think that this is the first Marvel movie since the original Iron Man that has no connection to a larger universe. And second, it's the first Marvel movie since Captain America the First Avenger to be an original movie. No, I was very aware of that. I actually had that as a question. Is this the 10th Avengers film? Will people find this on our website as episode 10 or episode 1? I was not sure. I was not even sure this was a comic book. I presume this was a drunken bet between Kevin Feige <laughs> and Robert Downey Jr. As they were negotiating his salary, he was like, you know, we can make anyone a superhero. Anyone. You name it, we can make this happen. And it became like this Mad Libs game of tree, raccoon, wrestler, <laughs> chubby sitcom star, green girl. Okay. Well, Stuart, here's the thing. I, I feel like I'm finally seeing one of these comic book movies from your point of view. Because Guardian of the Galaxies, who? 
okay, it's got its roots going all the way back to 1969, but really this form of it is a more modern reiteration uh, coming up in a miniseries from 2008. But even hardcore comic people are like, we're getting a Guardians of the Galaxy movie? What? Even comic people don't know why we're getting this. <laughs> they very marginalized team. I mean, I, I thought it was risky when they did Iron Man. That that was a really a B-list character at the time they did that first film. This is like D-list. Like this, yeah, this is Howard the Duck territory, quite literally. <laughs> yes, indeed. And we will be talking about that quacky duck. But I'm not a comic book guy, but I consider myself a Marvel guy. I'm familiar with it. When they said they were doing Guardians, I was just like Korash here. Who? And I've never been into the Marvel cosmic thing, though. Yeah, nor have the I. Free the scroll. I mean, none of that was where I read my comics. Do I need to bring up Green Lantern here? I mean, I kept wondering, is this a self-parody of the Avengers or an attempt to retell Green Lantern? I mean, I thought I was going to Oa. No, the whole Marvel Cosmic Universe is its thing. Again, it's marginalized. It's got its fans. I don't want to tick off any of their fans, but it it is not a big deal. I mean, like the X-Men, they go into space all the time, at least in the older stuff. And like that was a whole part of Marvel with all these space adventures. That's where the Phoenix came, right? Yes, that all took place in outer space, not on Earth. That's one of the things that ticked off people in X3, among many things. Right. Of course, when they announced the Guardians of the Galaxy movie... It was first rumored shortly after Avengers, they relaunched the comic series with this lineup written by Brian Michael Bendis, one of my favorite writers. So I even started reading the comic. I'm like, we're going to be reviewing this for now playing Avengers 10. So let me read the comic. Man, I just couldn't get into it. The Marvel cosmic is not what I enjoy reading. I read the first five issues and then they did a crossover with X-Men that I read. I like the characters, but I just could not even get into the recent incarnation of this comic. I was a little worried about would I be able to get into this movie. Then I saw that footage. They did 17-minute advanced screening at IMAX. And I went, and I think we'd all been joking. Oh, my God, a talking raccoon in a tree. This could be Marvel's first flop. I think we all moved that to Ant-Man after Edgar Wright got fired. <laughs> and then I saw the 17 minutes, and I came out, and I said, this could be the best Star Wars movie since 1980. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, people have been using Star Wars a lot here to describe this movie. I see that. I think that's what how they're selling this. They're not selling this as the latest Avengers movie. They're not selling this as a comic book movie. They're trying to tell us Star Wars has come back for a new generation right here with this incarnation yeah this is the new hip star wars we're gonna get a retro soundtrack hey i think it worked i went to a thursday night showing like 8 p.m sold out all the showings that night were sold out or almost sold out i went to a thursday night showing and got there like 45 minutes early because a friend of mine on facebook had posted his screening which had a huge crowd of course he lives in a big city and i do not empty theater <laughs> like i could have sat anywhere there were perhaps Two dozen people total in the largest screen with like 500 seats. It felt really empty. I saw it again the next day, a Friday matinee, a little bit more crowded. I don't think people knew there was a 7 o'clock showing on a Thursday. There was a line when we left for the 10 o'clock showing. Everybody's getting used to Thursday at 10. Thursday at 7 still a little more rare. 
Yeah, and I took advantage of that as well. I saw the first show and didn't even think I was going to. And yeah, I don't think that the crowd I was with, I don't think it was sold out. I don't think that they were the cosplayers. I think that they were people that had decided that day they were going to go see the movie and like, oh, look, it's it's showing at seven. Who knew? Yeah, I think the word is now don't buy your tickets in advance until you're sure all the times are posted. But I did see this in large format 3D. I can't call it IMAX. It used to be, but I saw it in a big venue. And because our listeners always ask, I also saw this in 3D all three times I saw it. I saw it in regular 3D twice and then in IMAX 3D once. I really wanted to see this in 2D. My second viewing, I really hoped I could get a 2D screening, but it's hard to see a 2D screening. There's only one screen in town playing 2D, and I missed that time. I had to see it 3D. People always ask, they want it up front, is the 3D worth it? It's kind of nice here. Can't say it enhanced anything too greatly. It was far better on the IMAX screen I saw than it was on the non-IMAX screen, but it's a well-done post-conversion job. There were a couple moments that it really was striking, but overall, it wasn't Avatar. Right. That seems to be the refrain I sing every time we go to to (laughs) Marvel these days. Uh, Yeah, rarely do I feel like it enhances, but I guess it puts you in a venue where you're, you're seeing it in the largest possible way. You can't see it IMAX and not 3D. Those prints don't exist. No prints exist. It's digital. I know, but there's a <laughs> metaphor. Don't you understand metaphors? Yes. I just saw it in 2D. It was fine. You know, again, I, I, I always look for I'm like, okay, these are the moments that are in 3D. I wonder how they turn out when Groot's shooting out glow-in-the-dark spores. I, I'm sure they're going. that was their money shot. Also, Groot's money shot, I'm guessing. <laughs> Not really. The big money shot was when some little lizard flew up in your face and ah, okay, it's like so distracting that my eyes don't know where to focus and it kind of hurts. There is one moment we'll talk about in the climax. I wonder if it came off better in 3D. We'll talk about it, though. It was confusing in 2D. We'll talk about it. Absolutely. I wonder if the entire climax might have been better in 2D. <laughs> so we'll have to discuss it when we get there. You know, we always bring up who's at the helm of these things. It's always an unusual choice. I think Marvel thinks outside the box. They've done it again. Guardians of the Galaxy is directed by James Gunn, who I think all you really need to know is he came out of trauma films, but also made a anti-superhero movie called Super, which I haven't seen. Yeah, I've seen that. It's it's a pretty nasty film. Yeah. And, and Slither. I love Slither. I was excited for James Gunn coming out of Slither. I saw Super. I'll admit I was kind of thinking it's going to be like kick-ass. I mean, it's almost exactly the same plot. No. (laughs) I was kind of disappointed in Super for multiple reasons. Explain. I don't know what that means. Is it a rough film? Is it like a hard R or or what? Oh, it's a very hard R. I think I even saw an unrated NC-17 cut. Yeah, it it is kick-ass. If kick-ass was actual real life as they try to sell it. Yeah. Mm. Except there is a weird alien invasion thing. I don't know if that was just a a delusion of the main character or not, but there is some tentacles in there playing with the brain. I just always go back to trauma. Maybe new generations don't know what that is, but when drive-in movie theaters died out in the 1980s, all those kind of cheap, pulpy movies were replaced by straight-to-tape movies, and trauma was at the head of the pack. Toxic Avenger, Class of Newcomb High, and I just feel like that aesthetic has carried over in James Gunn's other work. Slither, to me, felt like a trauma film. It sounds like Super could have been the trauma superhero film. Trauma never went as kind of depraved and depressing as Super gets. Really? 
Yeah. I mean, Super has a pathos to it that trauma films never had. Okay. Yeah, there's always a certain cheer to trauma films, yeah. even when it's a toxic Avenger. I don't know. There's always something repulsive about them, too. I never was a fan. I want to say I always liked them in spirit, but ultimately found them unpleasant to sit through. And I'd like to point out, we've also reviewed one other James Gunn written film, writer of Dawn of the Dead, the remake. Oh, yes. And he wrote those Scooby-Doo films, but why would I want to bring that up? <laughs> but you did. Because <laughs> you don't like the man? <laughs> <laughs> Just to put the talking raccoon in perspective, I suppose. Well, it was his connection to Seth Green, who we'll be talking about in this review, as well as CGI anthropomorphized animals, which we'll be talking about in this review. And it was Scooby-Doo that got him out of trauma hell. I mean, he went from Citizen Toxie to Scooby-Doo. Yeah. So it's curious, how how are they going to make this work? It's an outside-the-box set of characters. It's an outside-of-the-box director. Arnie, give him the plot. Let's get into it. There's a lot of proper nouns in this, so I apologize in advance. <laughs> think of it as a warm-up for Hobbit. Oh, I think of this whole movie as a warm-up for Hobbit. As played by Chris Pratt, Peter Quill is an intergalactic thief. As a young boy, he was abducted from Earth by a gang called the Ravagers, led by greedy Yondu, played by The Walking Dead's Michael Rooker. Yandu kept Quill around and trained him to be a part of the gang. But when the movie opens, Quill wants to venture out on his own. He's adopted the code name Star-Lord and has gone to steal the orb, a mysterious object on the planet Morag. But the heist goes south when a group of soldiers arrive also to steal the orb and try to kill Quill. These soldiers work for a man named Ronin, played by Lee Pace. Ronin is part of an alien race called the Kree. For a thousand years, the Kree have warred against the Xandarians, but the new Kree leader has negotiated a peace treaty. Ronin sees this as a traitorous act, so he struck out on his own to destroy Xandar and avenge his dead ancestors. To do this, he's formed a pact with the mad titan Thanos, Josh Brolin. If Ronin retrieves the orb and delivers it to Thanos, then the purple-skinned alien will destroy Xandar for Ronin. To aid Ronan's fight, he's allowed his two adopted daughters, Gamora and Nebula, to work for the Kree. They are both skilled warriors, and when Korath reports the orb was taken by Star-Lord, Gamora is tasked with retrieving it, though the green-skinned warrior, played by Zoe Saldana, has plans of her own. To sell the orb to eccentric collector Tanelier Tivan, Benicio Del Toro. <laughs> I had myself on mute, and I still laughed through it. It was like, oh, <laughs> This. <laughs> <laughs> who has offered her 4 billion units for the item. But her efforts are stymied by Rocket Raccoon and Groot, voiced by Bradley Cooper and Vin Diesel, respectively. The talking rodent and large tree creature are bounty hunters who see Yandu has put out a reward of 40,000 units for Quill. So a three-way fight ensues, ending with all four getting arrested and sent to prison, where many residents want to see Gamora dead especially tattooed muscle man Drax the Destroyer, played by WWE's Dave Bautista. Star-Lord points out that Gamora betrayed Ronan, so the Kree terrorist will come for her, and Drax agrees to let Gamora live, but not leaving her side until he can fight Ronan and avenge the death of his wife and child. The five escape from prison and go to see the Collector, who reveals inside the orb is an infinity stone of great power. This causes disagreement. Rocket wants to give it to Ronan and get the hell out, Star-Lord wants to sell it to the Collector and get rich. Gamora wants to give it to the Nova Corps for safekeeping. But all their plans go to hell because Drax sent a message of the stone's location to Ronin, hoping to engage in battle. Ronin does show up, and the Kree handily defeats and nearly kills Drax. 
Ronan and Nebula retrieve the stone, and Quill is captured by Yondu to be killed for his betrayal and stealing the orb. But Quill makes a deal. The group will help Yondu retrieve the stone from Ronan. Gamora has intimate knowledge of Ronan's ship, the Dark Aster, and with their help, Yondu can still get the stone and become rich. Meanwhile, Ronan has become power mad. He turns his back on Thanos, realizing that with the stone, he doesn't need the Titan to destroy Xandar. Just touching the stone to the surface of the planet will destroy it. So the final battle occurs on Xandar, with Ronan and Nebula trying to reach the planet, the Guardians and Yondu's Ravagers, aided by the Nova Corps, all trying to stop Ronan, though each for their own reasons. The Guardians break into Ronan's ship, but the Kree defeats them again in battle. Only Rocket, crashing his spaceship into the Dark Aster, saves their lives. But doing so causes the ship to crash on Xandar, and Groot sacrifices himself to save his friends, enveloping them all in a safe ball of branches. Now on the ground, Ronan is about to destroy Xandar, but Quill distracts him with a dance routine, not joking, <laughs> allowing Rocket and Drax to destroy the stone hammer in which Ronan has kept the Infinity Gem. Quill grabs the stone, knowing that even holding the Infinity Gem could kill him, but he seems able to hold it in for a moment. He is soon touched by Gamora, Drax, and Rocket, and the four together are able to wield the power of the stone to destroy Ronan. The crisis over, the Guardians give Yondu a box that presumably holds the stone, but the real stone is turned over to the Nova Corps, who reward the Guardians by expunging their criminal records and rebuilding Star-Lord's spacecraft, the Milano, which takes off into the skies as we see Groot, alive in twig form, dancing in a potted plant, and credits roll to an after credit sequence that had me quacking up. <laughs> Howard the Ducks here, gotta get a pun. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm not sure the plot even matters. You mean I went through all that for nothing? <laughs> yeah, I, you did, because I was like, I, I don't get it. But for as silly as this movie is, it does start on a surprisingly dramatic note. The only one in the the only time we're on Earth, and the only time that I really felt like without humor, they're going for a touching moment right here in the prologue yeah i felt like they went full up here you know if you've seen that pixar film up you were crying in the first five minutes you know watching this couple and the wife dying that they go for that here like i was surprised wow they're actually going for emotion every trailer i've seen this is about jokes this is about laughing nope we're gonna start with cancer yeah and it's Important to note, this is a pre-credit sequence. Marvel has been noted for their post-credit sequence. We haven't even seen the new cubic Marvel logo at this point. No opening credits. We just start on Earth in 1988 with a little kid in a red flannel shirt listening to his Walkman as his mother's dying in the hospital. It is really not where I expected this to begin. I also wondered why a kid from the 80s was listening to so much 70s music. But they do explain that. They do. And I love 10CC. You're not going to knock. I'm not in love. No. Big boys do not cry. <laughs> no, no. This is all the music I listen to from my Entertainment Weekly Sounds of the 70s double disc set. I love the soundtrack, but it's the music Peter's mother listened to when she was growing up. She'd made him mixtapes. I don't know if any of our younger listeners even know what a mixtape <laughs> is, but... Go see this movie and you'll figure it out. I do find it weird that she included Cherry Bomb. I don't know how I feel <laughs> if my mom gave me that song. <laughs> you know, each song does come up at a relevant point. I, I think they, it's it's carefully cultivated and really good. I did love this soundtrack. But here, yeah, the point is, if you listen to the whole 10cc song, Big Boys Don't Cry. They're trying to establish Peter's character. This is the one moment he's going to act like a real douche 
for the rest of the movie. <laughs> so the reason why we're supposed to like him is it comes through here. It's through childhood pain, trauma, and they don't want to undersell it. He is afraid to go watch this moment. He is afraid of taking her hand, of acknowledging death. And his character arc, he does have one. It's going to be about taking the hand and facing your death. Yeah, they also drop a line, like he has a black eye, and he was standing up for little frogs. Some boys were smashing frogs, and he stood up for them and got beat up. I don't feel like that's going to play out. I thought that was going to be a big signal for who this character was going to be. I think he can hang with animals, right? <laughs> is that how you took it? I, I, I took it another way. What I took that as is later in this movie, Ronin is going to have a big stick that he tries to kill all the Sandarians with, and it's... Peter Quill, even as a boy, didn't like to see innocent people picked on by mean people with sticks. Mm. Then again, the very next scene we see Peter Quill, he's kicking little rodents and grabbing them to pantomime microphones. So maybe we're also supposed to think as a boy he cared about animals and as an adult he's kicking them. I'm not quite sure. That is what confused me. Like, that is his character moment. You know, besides being afraid of confronting his mother's death, is that he stands up for the little guy. He runs out of the hospital, gets abducted. Next thing he's doing, kicking animals, torturing them. Well, okay, but they're lizards, and it's only to establish his humor here. I, before we get to outer space, I just want to ask, what's going on with the mom? They create her, and I think it's through CGI technology, to make her dying beautific, alien, if you will. She looks like she's about to go to V'ger. Seriously, she looked like one of those classic 50s gray aliens with the no hair and the big eyes. I mean, I was just thinking X-Files. And I think she has a British accent, although that just may be a carryover from the actress. But she's not like anybody else that seems to be Midwestern America here. What is Peter's background? What do we know from the comic? I know that that's obviously a mystery they want to tease for even the sequels, but he's going to have an Earth mother. She's from Earth? Yeah, I think they hit the basics here. I mean, they made it simpler. I mean, they, again, these characters, they've gone through so many retcons. Don't even try to read the comics and compare it to this film. They just pretty much wipe the slate clean and they take the pieces that make sense. But yeah, Earth Mom, Alien Dad. Is his dad anyone we would know is my big question. Is it Thor? Is it Galactus? Thanos, I had my money on Thanos. <laughs> Thanos has everybody else as a child. I can't imagine that they do a Luke Leia promoting a love story between Quill and Gamora. And oops, we're half siblings. They could. No, his dad, no one's significant, just a space dude. He's composed of pure light. I think she has some kind of line that lets you know... He was an angel. Yeah, he came down and impregnated her. Is that why she's dying? Could be. I did have my question about that. Did alien semen give her the cancer, or was it just bad luck? <laughs> I mean, these are the questions I need to know! <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, it looks like we're getting a sequel, so maybe they'll explore that more. I'm guessing that she just had cancer, and it was not from alien sex but the thing that made me wonder if we knew quill's dad is later on one of the last lines in the movie is peter's dad is an asshole anyway so i'm like could it be loki you know who <laughs> is the dad i'm thinking what have we seen in space in these avengers movies so far there was a rumor i heard two rumors coming into this one was true one was false the first rumor was howard the duck was in this happily true the second rumor was that it would turn out peter quill's dad was Tony Stark from a youthful liaison. 
And I could see that. He's kind of got that Tony Starkish arrogance to him. Yeah. Well, I think Marvel has realized that's what works for the film. So they want to make sure he has that air snarkiness to him. Yes. When we get out of this moment, yeah, he goes immediately running away from the deathbed. He can't face his mother. He never took the hand. He took the present, apparently, that she wrapped for him, but not the hand. No, his grandfather put it in his backpack. He couldn't even take the present and his grandfather says got you covered pete and puts it in his backpack okay and i'm like that's significant yes it's going in his backpack that's gonna come back still unwrapped i'm sure in the future and i was right yeah because he only has a few more seconds on earth than his mother did before he's gone and never to return he is child abducted here by a bunch of we don't know who at this point we jump ahead 26 years later but yeah not only is it the death of his mother, it's the goodbye to Earth, and he's been more or less working for space pirates ever since. Now, am I the only one who got, like, a Data from Goonies vibe as he's going in to steal the orb in this first scene? He's wearing the long coat, like Data wore the trench coat, and he has every gadget imaginable. Seriously, when the guards come, I expect him to pull out the bully blinders. No, I. it's obviously Indiana Jones. Come on. This is all about Harrison Ford. This is Star Wars with nothing but Han Solos. This is <laughs> Indiana Jones right here going to get the idol at the beginning. I was wait. I literally thought there was going to be a big Rolling Stone coming in at some point in this scene. There were neither Rolling Stones nor Rolling Stone songs. <laughs> <laughs> His mom must not have been a fan. Yeah, a little too early. Not bubblegum enough. But, no, I think you're on to something here, Arnie. I think that, yeah, in his mind, he thinks he's Harrison Ford, but really, he's a kid. He's a goonie. And they keep that visual reference here. When we first see him, he's got this cool mask that allows him to breathe. It's real badass. He's got these red eyes. You think, this looks threatening. But as soon as he takes it off, we realize he is still that eight-year-old with the headphones on, pranking up, you know, being silly. That he is not advanced from that moment he was abducted. And that's what we're hoping to see here is a character transformation. But you're right. This is all Raiders. I, I will compliment this movie. They never go for the most on-the-nose parody. I thought for sure he was going to take that orb and replace it with a bag of sand or something. <laughs> I really thought the referencing would be that direct, but they hold back from that. I think that there are lots of hints and cues to pop culture from the 80s. If you're a child of the 80s, you're going to see a lot of things that are familiar, but they do not recreate moments from 80s movies for amusement and satire. Except maybe Footloose. Maybe. And, and Risky Business. I mean, he does do the Risky Business slide here. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yes, that is true. Yeah, he does the, you know how Tom Cruise slides in oh, his sure. underwear. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he does that slide in his dance routine as he's going to get the orb. But the movie's also smart enough that even in the movie, Peter Quill calls out, this orb has a Lost Ark, Maltese Falcon kind of vibe to it. Right. So they're not trying to pull it over our eyes. They're like, see, it's just like Lost Ark. I don't know what else Chris Pratt has done, but I did enjoy Parks and Rec a lot because of his character. He played kind of a goofball. So I see that translating. He did really build his body up, though. If you ever watch Parks and Rec, he had kind of a gut. And I thought it was funny. Once he got this role, he lost all this weight. And they just explained it on the show. Oh, I stopped drinking beer. That's how I lost 40 pounds. It wasn't just this movie. He was also jacked in uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Oh, that's right. He wasn't that. He did lose 60 pounds for this movie, though. He had said that it was the Marvel team that put him on the regimen. I've seen a few episodes of Park and Rec. I thought he was funny in them. I primarily knew him first from the Lego movie, <laughs> which he voiced earlier this year. I mean, that was his breakthrough to the mainstream, wasn't it? 
No, I think Parks and Rec was his breakthrough to the mainstream. Yeah, yeah. He's a character actor to me. Moneyball or her, he was a kind of a funny sidekick in that movie. I mean, I've seen him in stuff like Bride Wars and Jennifer's Body, but I can't remember him in it. No, no. I didn't see that stuff, and I I don't know his comedy. I didn't watch Parks and Rec, but I saw that they were pushing him, at least in movies, as a character actor. So this, to me, feels like the first time they said, we can make him a star. And why not? If you're thinking outside the box, this is a very outside-the-box choice for a leading man. Obviously going for the comedy, I was at a Guardians of the Galaxy press junket at Comic-Con last year. They were promoting this in 13 to get the buzz going. The guy's really funny. I mean, just naturally funny. He had everybody cracking up. Benicio got all the love in the press junket, but Pratt was the star. Yeah, I get that. He's got good comic timing. I'd like to see him in a comedy. I mean, other than this one, you know, one on Earth. I think that he could be good in a rom-com or something like that. He has good timing. His character, eh, that's another thing. I mean, how much do you love his infantilized boy-child routine? I love it well enough. I mean, I I really go with it. I laugh at his jokes because I am a child of the 80s. He makes a Ninja Turtles reference here. We're taking a week off of Ninja Turtles, and we still have Ninja Turtles in the movie. You can't get away from it, Stuart. I know. I'm trying. And... All of his references. I mean, as a child of the 80s, I get pissed off when movies do the 80s wrong. His references are all date correct and everything. I mean, I find him an amusing censor. There are a couple of points in this movie that I will get to where I'm like, no, not not now, Chris. You know, this isn't your moment to steal. But no, this is his movie. This is a team movie. This is like trying to do the Avengers in the reverse way. Instead of giving all the Guardians their own movie and bringing them together, we're starting with them all together. But Star-Lord Peter Quill, he is our main character. And really, I will argue, the only one that has an emotional journey that matters. You said that that cancer scene is the only emotional moment, Stuart. No, every character gets one moment of pathos. The only one that works is Peter's. The only one without comedy. I mean, yeah, I I, I grant you, they try to tug the heart for everyone, particularly Groot, but always with a smile, too. Now, I'll argue that, but we'll get there. I think I've said it before. Reference humor. Like, this is funny because, hey, remember this 80s TV show? Or this is funny because, like, that is tricky humor. I I think for the younger generation that's been raised on Family Guy, that works. And you hate Family Guy. (laughs) I'm just saying, I think it's a lazy type of humor. But you know what? With this film, I think Stewart's version of this plot is right. It doesn't matter. I don't know if I'm coming in here to see an Avengers type movie. What sold me on this was the humor. Am I getting laughs? And I'm laughing. And the crowd, the crowd was uproarious that they were loving the humor here. Were they? That's interesting. I I never laughed out loud once in this movie. I'd smile. There were things that I thought in my head. I'm like, oh, that's funny. Most of the time, my eyebrow was just cocked. And I was like, this is how Marvel wants to spend 200 million. I did not find this to be a great comedy. I did not find this character to be someone I necessarily wanted to follow on a journey. This is a strange position. I give Marvel credit. They never make the same film again. This is a midnight movie comedy. They're trying to make a Disney cult film, and I've never seen that before. So I give them credit for going somewhere new. I can't say that I'm on board in these early scenes, or ever, really. 
it's a strange dissociation that I'm having with this team as it assembles. I laughed out loud multiple times first viewing, and I could tell jokes work if I'm still laughing out loud on my third viewing. And I was. Right. On a few of them. Not, you know, most jokes lose their bite after the second time. But some of the jokes really work for me here. But I came into this expecting kind of an Ocean's Eleven type movie. You know, you got this band of outlaws. That's how they were sold in the trailers, right? And they're on some mission. The trailers, notoriously for me, kept all the bad guys in the background. You'd see a couple glimpses of fearsome looking things, but really the only bad guy who got any focus in the trailer is Korash from this opening scene who goes, who? And that's it. (laughs) I mean, I knew nothing about the bad guys. But right after Peter Quill is introduced, the bad guy's plot starts, and I'm like, oh my god, we're in Thor the Dark World again. Thank you. (laughs) As we are introduced to Ronin, the Kree, who's been in the Thousand Year War, who starts by stealing the Mandarin speech. He's like, they call me a terrorist, radical, zealot. I'm like, are we going Trevor again? What is going on here? (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember the name of the Dark Elf or whatever it was. They're interchangeable here. These Marvel films, besides Loki, they've really had trouble coming up with good villains. I've never cared about the villains. They have charismatic heroes in their films. Their villains have always been a weak point, except for the Winter Soldier, Bucky Barnes. I was the only time I think I've really cared about the bad guy. And, and Whiplash? No, I didn't care about Whiplash. He had whips made of energy. I just don't care about their villains, and that's why, yeah, you gotta sell me on a good leading man or woman, because I don't get involved with these conflicts. They just fall flat. And I don't think we're meant to. I, I'm surprised that they try to make the main villain as badass as they do. I can't believe, like, he's introduced taking a mallet and smashing someone's face in. I'm like, really? I didn't think that it was going to be this kind of movie. And I just can't imagine that we ever think that he's going to do that to our team. Is he going to be in other movies? Or are they going to trans? I feel like, yeah. He could transplant to Thor. None of these other characters, I think, would mix well with the other Avengers. But this villain, Ronin here, yeah, he could have definitely been in any previous Marvel movie. Now, I think they do him better than the Dark Elf. A little bit. But when he's first introduced, the reason I decided I had to see this movie twice theatrically is I walked out going, what was his beef What is this war? What is going on with the Xandarians? I mean, I know from comics, and again, I'm not into the cosmic stuff, but the Kree and the Skrull, I know those two. Now, they couldn't bring in the Skrull because Fox owns them, much to Marvel's chagrin. Weren't they the things that were at the end of Avengers, or was that Kree? That was Chitauri. Yeah, they couldn't call him Scroll. Oh, Chichari, yeah, okay, yeah. You know I don't like any of these names, so I, I okay. <laughs> yeah, I think they wanted them to be Scrolls. Fox owns the Scrolls as part of the Fantastic Four franchise. And so we've got the Kree and the Xandarians, and I'd heard something about Thousand Years and Peace Treaties. I didn't get it all. So I went back the second time. I don't know exactly why we start off with Ronan doing a blood ritual where, like, he's crushing a Xandarian's head. And in a Hellraiser-like moment, the blood is seeping through some channel to go somewhere. I'm like, is this going to raise the ether? What's going on? It turns out it's just establishing Ronan as murderous. It might be why he's blue. I wonder if their skin is not naturally blue, but the blood of their enemies. No, no, they're all blue. We saw the Kree leader. There's a ton of Smurfs in this movie. I mean, everybody's (laughs) blue in this movie. 
Well, you know what? I did think they went the Star Trek, the original 60s television route here with a lot of the aliens. Like, we'll paint them a different color and put a little bump on their forehead, and they're a different race. Yeah. I had to look things up to see, because Yondu is blue-skinned. I'm like, is he a Cree? I mean, how many blue-skinned people in here are yeah. Cree? But it turns out he's not. There's a lot of confusion here, and I don't think it needs to be here. Like, it's not just the bad guys show up on this planet to go after Star-Lord. The Ravengers show up, and then we jump to all these different planets, and there's this treaty. Come on, Star Wars, rule of three, three planets. Don't give me more than that. I get three planets in the first 20 minutes of this film, and I'm confused. The friend I went with, she's only seen Avengers. She had no idea what she was getting into with this film. I'm like, were you able to keep up with it? She's like, I just laughed. I enjoyed laughing at it. Didn't care about all the planets didn't even try to keep track of them there you go it doesn't matter yes. it really doesn't yeah i'm glad we're all in agreement on that we we have to do it because we're now playing and we will go through the minutiae but yes she she did say i feel sorry for you having to talk about all this i was able to not have to think about it and that's probably the way to go this movie's value is the sum total of its jokes they're laughing at us for trying to pay attention to this plot they know that there's no plot here that's part of the joke they're just winging it and yeah the less time we spend trying to parse out the whys and hows I'm paying attention to Peter because I do think he has a conflict that can be solved here. But what Ronan wants, yeah, it's the same thing as an elf from space that wants to turn off the lights to me. Yeah, exactly. And I, I was going back to that. I didn't want to go back to that, but it's what Ronan reminded me of more than anything. But as far as all these planets go, we're going to be talking about Lord of the Rings here sooner rather than later, it turns out. And that's what I went back to with this is we've got a group of people, a fellowship of guardians on a journey from place to place to place to place to place. And we're going to have all these things. I mean, here they have nowhere. We're going to be talking about Helm's Deep. Who cares? <laughs> it's just a name. There are a lot of locales here, though. I couldn't, again, on my second viewing, I was making very sure that when the subtitles come up, because some planets are never even named. There's just a subtitle as they get there. I'm writing them down just in case. Yeah, that's my method, usually. And I do want to say, maybe they don't pay out in this plot, but I want to give the highest compliment I'm going to, to this entire movie, to the production design. This world, this universe, where they've gone to, is really great looking. I love almost everywhere we go from a design standpoint. I think the ships are cool, this Ronin ship is really cool, I think his headdress is cool, I think Xander, it looks a little Trek, but I think even the good guy's home world is cool. I, I, I wonder what this movie would be if they had played it straight. What if this were Green Lantern? What if they had tried to say these plots matter? I think I could have invested in this world. I'm going to take what you said and raise it a level. In addition to just having good production design, they do good universe building here. They had said going into this, Guardians was a one-off, we'll see how it does, maybe there's a sequel. I don't know if they were lying or hedging their bets. When we get to the end, they were definitely looking at hooking future movies into this. Hey, it says they're returning at those end credits. Yeah, and they never reveal Peter Quill's father. There's hooks for a sequel in here from the very get-go. But not only does it look great, Every planet has a distinct feeling without going the somewhat lazy Star Wars way of this whole planet is a desert, this whole planet is ice, this whole planet is lava, this whole planet is sky. These planets feel realistic, but also each one has its own vibe that makes it seem worth going to. Yep. And the next one we go to is Xander, right? That's the capital of the Nova Empire. I don't know exactly what that means, but they're the good guys. They're the ones that have negotiated a peace treaty with 
the Cree, and Ronan, who is Cree, is trying to break up that peace treaty. That's as much as a, of the plot as I really do understand. Yeah, how many bunnies did Gun Close bubbled in order to get that peace treaty signed? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I wouldn't cross her. I will not be ignored, Cree. She's fearsome, always. <laughs> yeah, she's the leader of the Xandarians here. And here is where we get introduced to a couple different characters. Gamora was on Ronan's ship. She and her quote-unquote sister Nebula, both quote-unquote children of Thanos, who we saw in Avengers, but really, he just killed their parents and took them as adopted children to become weapons. Gamora pushes Nebula out of the way. Go, I'm better than you, and I'm going to go get the orb back for Ronan. And so she is waiting for Quill on Xandar. Yeah, Quill has betrayed the man that hired him to get the orb by trying to sell it himself to an antique dealer. And when it's found out that Ronan wants that as well, the antique dealer is afraid. Everyone is afraid of Ronan. This becomes a MacGuffin. How is he going to unload and profit from this Maltese Falcon MacGuffin creation? MacGuffin is the only word that comes to mind with the orb. It's like, it is just... The thing everyone's chasing for no real reason. Which is something we've seen a lot in these Marvel films. Dark World, going after some ether. Captain America, the first Avenger, going after a cosmic cube. Same with Avenger. Like, obviously, we're going to get Infinity Gauntlet. Stuart, I know that doesn't mean anything to you right now. It feels like that's what all these films are building up to. Here's a different color, shiny rock. That's going to be the, the MacGuffin for each of our films. Okay, so this has nothing to do with that cube. I thought it was the same thing as the cube. These stones are... They're all related, yeah. Okay, they all fit on a glove that Thanos is going to wear? Okay. That's what I assume. That's We'll get there some. Yeah. They are building out years in advance. Marvel has dates written down until, what, 2030? 2028, actually. Not quite 2030. So, yes, they've got a big story arc planned. Even if the story here isn't very relevant, it's a part of a larger one getting started here. So that's why this is an Avengers movie, I suppose. We get our Stan Lee cameo here, too. Yes, he is a Class A prevert, as Rocket calls him. Yeah, Stan Lee, I didn't think he'd be in this one. He didn't think he'd be in this one. When asked, he's like, I'm in the movies of the characters I created. I don't know what the Guardians are. <laughs> Which, I, I believe him. I mean, he did create some of these characters. Ronan, him and Jack Kirby, he created Groot. He had a hand in. But the way this team is formed, I mean, again, Guardians, there were remnants in 1969, the original version. But a lot of these characters, Rocket, I mean, he's named after the Beatles song, Rocky Raccoon. And oh, you know, yeah. a lot of this stuff popped up later and then eventually became the team that we're seeing now. So, yeah, he didn't have a hand in the original Guardian. And it's funny to see him hitting on a young girl. I've been to conventions. And first of all, I know Stan Lee is a longtime married, devoted husband. But I've also seen women throw themselves at the 93-year-old man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that wasn't on mute. <laughs> no. Rocket and Groot. Han and Chewie, right? Yes. Maybe. Groot is the only non-Han Solo, I feel, in this film. No, Groot is clearly Chewbacca because he speaks only in I am Groot, the way Chewbacca only spoke in Wolves, and yet Rocket understands every word the way Han understood what Chewbacca was saying. I th He's a big, brown, strong, heart of gold sidekick to a money-hungry, snarky... Spaceman. The problem is, I can equate all of these characters to Star Wars, except Peter Quill and Rocket do fight for the Han Solo role. Yes. I, I actually am going to make the statement, I think Peter Quill is actually Lando. <laughs> because he double-crosses his friends at the beginning and has a heart of gold by the end. 
All right. You know, I'm just going to put it out there. I haven't seen Star Wars in probably 20 years. It's not my first reference. It wasn't my first reference here. You guys are seeing the connections. I wouldn't begin to dispute them. They probably are, just as you say, Arnie. I kept seeing Princess Bride, honestly. I thought Groot was Andre the Giant, <laughs> and I thought Inigo Montoya was Drax. You know, he's the one that wants revenge. Rocket was kind of Billy Crystal here. I don't know. It, it, Star Wars doesn't have the humor that this movie does. It, it's a Princess Bride snarky humor to me that was the thing i just kept going back to in my mind i definitely can see that now that you've brought that up i was just going to star wars because it's a bunch of space bands pirates going together and i can definitely draw the parallels i think gamora is as humorless and tough as princess leia Mm, you're probably right now i have a question why do you hire bradley cooper for a voiceover role where he sounds nothing like bradley cooper yeah i noticed that i'm like bradley cooper okay i i for some reason, seen all those hangover films. I know his voice. He could not recognize it. I love Bradley Cooper, and I hear he loves us, but <laughs> I just didn't get a Bradley Cooper vibe out of Rocket. I didn't even get a Vin Diesel vibe out of Groot. Uh, <laughs> he says the same line over and over. I guess Vin Diesel grunts things and... Check out the video online, because he did it in five languages. You can watch him go, Yo soy Groot! <laughs> Yo soy Groot! I heard he had to say that line over a thousand times in in different inflections. (laughs) Probably the first acting exercise he's ever done. (laughs) He does a lot of exercise, not a lot of acting. Honestly, I I don't know those people very much from their other work. Bradley Cooper, other than Silver Linings Playbook and American Hustle and Midnight Meat Train, have I seen him in anything? I don't think so. Oh, man, and I've seen him in so much Wedding Crashers, A-Team, Midnight Meat Train, three Hangover films, Limitless. If he's in a movie, I usually go see it, including American Hustle and Silver Linings. I like Bradley Cooper. I don't get him in this movie, but I like Bradley Cooper. Well, there's two different thoughts on voiceover acting. Sometimes you hire them because you want people to go because they like those stars and the idea that Bradley Cooper is in the movie will put butts in the seat even if it doesn't look like Bradley Cooper. To be clear, he didn't put on a motion capture suit and play (laughs) that raccoon, right? He didn't Andy Serkis this. No, he did not go full circus here. Actually, he kind of did. They did do some physical movement from him, some facial expressions. Neither he nor Vin Diesel were on set when they were filming. They had stand-ins. Mm. When it came time for some of the CGI mocap, both of them got involved. Mm. Okay. Because I, I know they did scan in like a real Oreo, the raccoon. They scanned that thing in to build that model for Rocket. Yes, but as per the end credits, no raccoons or talking trees were harmed in the making of this film. <laughs> But the other reason why you go with a voice actor is they have the right performance. They're giving you the voice of the character that you want. And I think it works. It doesn't feel incongruous. I mean, I don't know what a raccoon would sound like if it started talking. So it wasn't a problem. It would sound like, get away from my garbage. And they do draw the point. I feel like this is a change from the comic. He doesn't even know what a raccoon is, Rocket. He is a science experiment. They tore him apart and put him back together. You know, in the original comic, it's just talking animals. He has a friend called Walrus. Guess what he is? A walrus. Oh, yeah. Do they hang with Howard? 
Yeah. They might have crossed over at some point. I, they Perhaps they landed on Duck World for a visit. I can just imagine. You know what? I'm glad they went with that more dramatic turn. I do think his best moment. He has a lot of jokes here. He is arguably the funniest character of the Guardians. But I do think his best moment is when he gets drunk and talks about the torture of being genetically assembled and reassembled here. That there's an anger to him and it, that he doesn't want to be thought of as a freak, as a mutant raccoon. He, you know, he has a line something like, the only thing like me is me. And so he thinks of himself just as an individual, an oddball, a, a one-off. Well, it, that's how this entire cast is. They're all cast off. I mean, Peter, he's an orphan. Rocket, he's this science experiment with no family. Gamora, she's got an evil Titan dictator god for a father, an adopted father. I think that is one of the themes here. These are all our cast offs. That's why they're going to come together later, because this is their real family. They don't have family. But let's get to the heart of this. I really think this movie has one sparkling failure. And that's its ability to give each of these characters this violin playing scene that doesn't work. Rocket has a scene where he gets drunk and he's like, I didn't ask to be made. And Dave Bautista has this scene. All my anger is just covering up my loss. And God, that one was laughable. That was the funniest joke in the movie is Dave Bautista trying to emote sadness. And Zoe Saldana has, Thanos isn't my dad. I watched him murder my parents and turn me into a weapon. This movie is fast-paced. And the reference I went back to, and it hit me midway through this, this is Star Trek 2009. That is the pace we have. It's boom, 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 boom. We're spending more time on the characters than the movie spends on the characters. But because it wants each of them to be more than a type and more than a joke, James Gunn gives... Three of the four, and Groot has his own little sad moment, but, I mean, he doesn't have a monologue of I am Groot's. So, the other three, they all have their little monologue where everything goes quiet and we're supposed to care about them for this, and none of it works for me. Dramatically, after the mother dies, this movie attempts to tug at heartstrings, it fails. Some of their jokes fall flat, all of their attempts to make me emote fall flat. I will repeat, my favorite moment with the raccoon is that drunken talk. So you don't like Rocket? I love Rocket. (laughs) You know what, Arnie? Again, I I feel like I don't know how serious we're supposed to take this film. I don't think the film takes itself that serious. I appreciate that they're trying for something deeper. I I don't know if I need to buy in and cry over every backstory. I I appreciate that we're going to take breaks from jokes. I mean, one of the moments that I actually do like, a dramatic moment, is just Peter checking out Rocket when they're in jail and Rocket's just come out of the shower. Okay, this sounds really weird, but, you know, Peter's seeing just all the scientific experimentation that's gone on him, all these bolts and things in his back. I thought that was a nice, quiet moment that says a lot. But none of this stuff, yeah, I'm not crying over any of this, but I do like that they've tried to take this deeper because again i'm approaching this as a comedy and great we're getting a few character moments neat there are some emotional moments that work like when you mentioned rocket the one time he kind of lets his guard down and looks defeated is in that prison coming out of the shower later on it's the low point of the film when everyone is almost dead and Batista's like my wife and child of rockets just like we all have dead people That moment worked for me. It's when each of them have their monologue about their pain that just didn't go over for me. I just don't think this movie earned those moments. I'm with Jacob. I'm glad they're there. I don't think that it's a cake and eat it, too. If you want to cry, go ahead. But this movie is afraid of sentimentality. And my argument is it doesn't go for that enough, that the flavor here is predominantly smarm. 
They basically want to be anti-establishment and funny. And for me, I wish this were a more emotionally varied movie, period. I wish that they weren't trying to be so funny all of the time. I wish that Star-Lord wasn't the focal point for the whole movie. There's one moment that doesn't quite work for me. You know, we, we're going to get in this big fight. Everyone, here's the team coming together, all at each other's throat. You know, Gamora is going after Star-Lord. Groot and Rocket are going after everyone trying to get this ball. I, it, it, it's a fun scene. This is the Thor versus Cap versus Iron Man in the woods scene, right? To uh, see which Guardian can beat up each other. There you go. We got to have them fight before they can team up. Right. And again, it, it's kind of Looney Tunes. We got this bag. We're trying to get over people and then Starlord will get out of it and shock you with a taser. It, it's I don't know. It, it's fun, though. It was funny to see Groot not know him from her and Rock is like, learn genders. And Gamora, though, she kicks ass in this film. She is really tough. I'm going to give this movie that I think she'd kick Black Widow's ass in a fight. I mean, she's doing these leaps. They got her doing some wire foo here. I mean, it was a great way to showcase their strength because Peter Quill almost takes her down. She has all the natural skills, all the fighting abilities, but he's got like laser ropes and all these gadgets. So he's the tech guy versus her being the muscle. There's a lot of muscle in this film. Groot's the muscle, Drax is the muscle, but Gamora, she kicks some serious ass and kudos to Zoe Zaldana. That's all body paint. There ain't no CGIing her skin. That no, oh, I thought maybe they would have done that for consistency. I did too, but she underwent the makeup. No, I've I've liked. I haven't necessarily liked the film she's been in. Go listen to our losers review. But yeah, I couldn't help but think about the losers to see Zoe Saldana in another superhero outlaw film. Yeah, but I've always liked her physicality. I always thought she does well in a fight. But here's what falls flat for me with her character. You know, they get arrested after this big fight, and they're taken to space jail we're gonna go to another planet another set and we find out everyone wants to kill her because she is the daughter of thanos and these are all people who have lost family and all of a sudden it's like well no i'm not really on thanos side i i want to stop him from being so evil like because for sure i'm like oh wow in the trailers you sold me gamora that she's part of this team no she's gonna be the spy and then all of a sudden it's like nope I'm really on your guys' side because my adopted dad's bad. And they believe her. That's what gets me. (laughs) If you are like one of the most evil people in the galaxy, do you just believe her when she says, no, I was trying to betray them? I wondered why Peter saved her from being murdered in the prison. I mean, the same reason you would, because she's hot. Yes. (laughs) Is that? I mean, I realized that's how I took it. (laughs) I realized that Peter has some pelvic sorcery, but still. Yeah, we need a love story in here. I wondered if without that, if it would play the same for his character. It gives him something to do. He ends up working through his mother issues with her through the middle of this movie. She's the one that'll listen to his mixtape. None of the other ones want to get with him on that emotional level. Yeah, we're meant to believe that there's a spark and a chemistry from the get-go and that she's going to allow him to be more than a kid wearing headphones blasting things. And this is also where we're introduced to Dave Bautista. Now, this is throwing me because all the trailers had the lineup with John C. Riley, and there were all five Guardians in it. Well, that was a trailer foolery, because when you see it in the film, Drax has not even joined the group during the lineup, and Groot has no arms. <laughs> Gamora cut him off. Yes, I was wondering that. I'm like, wait, he had arms in that trailer when they're doing this lineup. He doesn't have them now. No, no. So they made a few things just for the trailers. Uncensored the middle finger. 
<laughs> I do feel like this is the most crass of the Marvel films uh, with the swearing. I mean, it, it's not R rated, but I feel like they take more liberties. I mean, we, we get a mention of Peter Quill, uh, his spaceship being like a Jackson Pollock painting that, because of bodily fluids. That was hysterical. It's the first Marvel film that flirts with saying the F bomb. Yes. All the X Men movie get the one time PG 13 F bomb. This one, I thought they might go there. And I'd heard in the past, Kevin Feige's like, we don't say that on a Marvel movie. And I thought they might in this one. It's gone that level. I mean, you're referencing semen stains. Why not say the F-bomb? It's like having a little kid tell you a dirty joke. I'm not sure that the joke is funny. It's who's telling it that's funny. It's the fact that all these things are coming out of a, a cutesy Disney-fied aesthetic. That this raccoon, I heard a lot more awe than I heard laughter with him. Honestly, I think people were just charmed and were ready to buy the plush of this raccoon. Wasn't that Marjorie's response? She's bought multiple. There you go. <laughs> I got an action figure literally a foot away from me right now that isn't mine. Yeah, I do feel like they really do want to make this a Disney film. Uh, there's a Disney-fied quality, but it's the fact that these Disney characters are using this language that heightens the comedy. I Again, I don't know that any of these jokes are that witty. It's just who's telling them. Hey, can I maybe give a compliment to a wrestler? You know, Batista playing Drax the Destroyer. I read that he took extra acting lessons once he got the role, which good yeah. because wrestling, that's all acting, but they don't do much acting. Yeah. I... In WWE. But you know what? Okay. He, he's not winning any awards here. I did like some of his comedic timing and maybe because he was playing more or less a straight man, but right. the, the fact that he took everything literal and I, I did love that whole dialogue where he doesn't understand the slicing the throat. Hand motion. It, it worked for me. I was surprised like he wasn't 100% awful. Yeah. I mean, who's the funny one on this team? Usually there's one funny one. You get your Iron Man. That's what I'm saying. They're all Han Solo here. They're all the funny one except Gamora. Gamora gets no funny lines. Right. But even Groot with his I am Groot is done for comedic ways. Drax, I expected to not like him. The footage I'd seen, I thought his lines thudded. But no, his inability to understand metaphor nothing goes over my head my reflexes are too fast i laugh every time at that and there's several of those throughout i think he ended up being actually funnier than the raccoon everyone's timing is really good let me put it that way whether i thought the jokes were funny eh, they were kind of funny but the timing is good i feel like the cast the chemistry they have here it's amazing that they've had such disparate elements come together and form a team but yeah they're a good team I don't know why they would be called the Guardians of the Galaxy when they bust out of prison, but I believe that they could carry on and have many more adventures together. And the prison yeah, break's I a great scene. First of all, there's humor. One of my favorite things about Rocket Raccoon is he loves to steal prosthetics from crippled yes, people. For no reason. <laughs> the leg here, the eye later. Just because it's funny to see the guy hopping around. He says he needs the leg. And Rocket is the man with the plan. He's the MacGyver of the team. He's the smartest one of the group. He, I thought he'd be the funny one. He's the brains of the operation. He's the one who, walking into the prison, sees the way to get out. And... I think it's very subtle the way Gunn staged the scene, how 
Gamora, Star-Lord, and Rocket are in the foreground making their plan, and Rocket's like, I need this battery. Well, it's impossible to get. In the background, out of focus, Groot goes and steals the battery as Rocket's saying, and this must be the last thing we get, because it's going to set off a ton of alarms. Really funny, well-staged scene. Yeah, again, the audience is laughing. They're seeing Groot grow to pull this battery, just as Rocket's saying, that's the last thing to do. And the action, again, I don't know, it's always weird when, when you get into all this CGI, these machine guns that are flying around, these robots that are flying around. I don't know if that's the most engaging. I like when it's more physical, and we do get some of that with, you know, again, a WWE wrestler throwing some guards around. There is that classic moment of Rocket, he finally gets a gun and swinging around with Groot. Uh, again, fun moments. I don't feel this is ever serious, but I'm having fun. This is a, I think you said it, Arnie, Ocean's Eleven, and I'm enjoying it on that level. Here's the crazy caper we got to pull off now that seems impossible. And yet they're still going back to hit notes with Peter. I mean, keep in mind this prison break, the end punchline is that he puts everyone at risk, keeps that orb on him when he goes back for his Walkman. It seems like a ludicrous thing. They soundtrack it to Pina Colada and... (laughs) He basically beats up a guard. It's like a, you mentioned James Gunn's roots in Dawn of the Dead. It was like a Day of the Dead moment. That's a bub, right? With the headphones on. (laughs) But yeah, he gets his thing back. We think that that's just his flippancy. But when we find out later, him and Gamora, he did it because it's his last tie to Earth. His last tie to his mother. There is more to that trinket than just funny songs. They also pull their punches. I noticed here, Peter is tasing the guards. He's stunning them. He's not killing them. He's not killing for his Walkman. He killed earlier on the planet while stealing the orb. He'll kill later on. But here, these guys are Nova Corps guards. And even though they're said they're on this planet, they're corrupt Nova Corps guards. He's still only going to knock them out. He set phasers to stun for this mission. Yeah, and again, that's fine. I don't think this needs to be Captain America Winter Soldier. I don't think we need almost R-rated violence here. This is for families. Honestly, this is one you could take your kids to. So they get out of prison. Gamora knows where to go. They're going to go nowhere. K-N-O-W-H-E-R-E, which is a severed head of an ancient celestial being mining it for spinal fluid. I, I do like that concept that it's yeah. like we're living inside the head of God. That's a cool thing. And again, you don't have to dwell too much on it. And we already brought up Thor 2 here. This is where we get back to that end scene, right? The mid credit sequence. That scared us all. <laughs> yes. When when we were all wondering what Benicio Del Toro was going to do in the Marvel Universe, I got to say, is it explained when they finally meet the Collector? I really thought he was going to be the villain of this film. And so now we're, what, halfway through, 45 minutes in, something like that. And we finally see him. I already know Ronan's the main bad guy. I guess he really is just a collector. I thought he would have some ulterior motives, but, you know, it's funny. I, I was looking in that background. I think I saw a dark elf that he collected. I, I think he's like Arnie. He just wants one of everything. There's a Chitari in there. There's a dark elf in there. And second viewing, I noticed when we are first introduced to the collector, he's out of focus. What's in focus? Look at the top of the screen. Howard the Duck. He is not saved for the end credits. He is here. I was looking for him, but I'll, I'll have to look again when oh, I see Oh, you guys him. missed that? Oh, I, I, that was like, ins- I didn't even notice Benicio. I was like, that's Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's really there. I mean, it's heavily in frame. I mean, it's in the golden mean. You can see him. He's there. Yeah, so he is the collector. Now, Benicio, he was a big part of that press conference I went to, and 
I thought he was going to be the main bad guy, especially when he's in Thor. I think they're setting something up here. Benicio signed a multi-multi-picture deal. Yeah. So we haven't seen the end of the collector. Here, this is a cameo. Yeah, we do know he has the ether or whatever that was called from Thor 2. So he's got more of this stuff that Thanos is going to need. Does he? His collection's blown the hell up here. I mean, I I wondered about the... Because we do this. I'm like, so is the ether <laughs> loose again? I was right. I was Yes, I was doing the same thing, Arnie. <laughs> yeah, what you're talking about is the fact that he has these pink skin girls who have been throughout this. Uh, Peter Quill had one stashed away in his bedroom at the beginning. I, I don't quite get... Are they clones? Are they a race of creatures? They're just a race. Uh, what James Kirk is to green-skinned women, Peter Quill is to pink-skinned. But they're also the captives of... And the emissaries of the collector they're the ones that got gamora to come in and bring in the orb which is really this is where we find out it's the infinity stone poor benicio i mean could you imagine benicio del toro here's an actor who i have liked performances of since the usual suspects it's like benicio we're gonna hire you to wear this powder wig and have the unenviable task of a lot of thudding dialogue that explains everything uh again just like all these planets i don't care like i'm trying to watch this i see these like ancient beings i'm like are those the watchers trying to handle the stones it doesn't matter like guess what i am a collector when i buy things from people i don't give them the history of the item they're selling me (laughs) i say here's your money give me give me yes you've already researched the history on wikipedia and ebay before you buy it (laughs) yeah i know what i'm buying i don't care if the seller knows what they're selling but no he's going to give this lecture this virtual classroom lecture about literally the history of the universe it's fine. That's You need that, actually. I needed that. I needed to know what this thing was, I think. Did you need it in this depth, though? Yes. Like, I felt it was too much. Tell me it's an ancient rock that can destroy stuff. We have a whole subplot hinted at here that he has these pink women in enslavement, and they're willing to blow themselves up to get away from him. What was your take, though? Like, Was she drawn to the Infinity Stone? I, I get that she's scared of being a slave, but I felt like there had to be something more, that she was drawn to it. Or else, I don't know, it seems kind of weird that she's like... Hey, here's an ancient power. I could now free myself. Yeah, I think it was just to show us what it does when you hold it. You have to set up that if Peter Quill grabs this, he's going to blow up. So let's show someone blow up. It is not character motivated other than she hates her boss. And so she's going to try to get her boss back by grabbing the stone. Now, again, as a collector, if I decided I'm going to collect a bomb, I think I'd keep that in an off-site location from all of my other collectibles just in case. I feel bad for the collector here, and I'm probably the only one, but I'm like, all your stuff got blew up, man! (laughs) Didn't even occur to me. And that's the end of the collector till the end credit scene. I mean, he literally is here just to explain it. I was a little bit weirded out when the place blows up. Groot saves Rocket. Forget Gamora and Star-Lord and Drax isn't even there. Drax has gone off to betray them all. Yeah, Gamora and Star-Lord, they just, what, duck under a table. It seemed like a huge explosion. Like, Groot and Rocket have this big, you know, the big action jump as the thing blows up. And no, Gamora and Star-Lord, we're just hanging out inside the building. With the collector and Howard. Yeah. And Cosmo the dog. Yeah, what's that cosmonaut dog? That's the best joke in the movie. Best joke in the movie. I love the idea that someone would bother to take, like, the first creature in space and and collect it. I was looking for the the American chimp. Did we bring that back? Or I thought that got left out in space as well. Could have been switched out. You never know. (laughs) Guys... 
This is a Marvel character. That's Cosmo the space dog. I'm not even joking. It wasn't uh, a reference to just the Russians firing a dog into space? No, it was oh. yet another character. Oh, okay. I like it last then. Okay. Yes. There's, <laughs> I don't want to spin off with a dog, FYI. That compliment <laughs> was not to encourage you to give me some Saturday morning show about a cosmonaut dog. I just thought it was funny to think about, yeah, they, they were bringing it back to Earth in some Earth history. Yeah, that's how I took it. They were referencing something other than their own universe. I thought that was appreciated and needed. Nope, they were referencing their own universe. It's Shockwave all over again for Stuart. <laughs> you know what else? When they realized they were doing the collector set, they're like, we can put so many things in there in one of those cages. Slither. Yeah, they could blow that up. <laughs> I like Slither. Yeah, I, I do feel like this is the scene that you go frame by frame on the Blu-ray. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I wish I could have for this, but yeah, nice collection there. Now, Drax, Drax decides during all of this, screw it. He's not in this for the money. The others are all like a billion a piece is good, but Drax, he just wants to fight Ronan. And so while they're all doing this, Drax got drunk and they all got drunk, which you said. No, no, Gamora and Peter Quill went off to talk Footloose. Yes, they try to get pelvic sorcery on. Yeah, I, I do like the recapping of Footloose. Apparently, Kevin Bacon likes this movie, and he should. He's name-dropped multiple times. I know. I did like the line, who put the sticks in their butt? It, did some Drax wear off on her? She took it very literally. I know. That that was not her line. It's like he should have been telling that story to Drax. Drax and Rocket were getting drunk and betting on animals eating each other in a like dog fight kind of situation. So Drax goes off and... Calls he drunk dials. Come on, haven't you ever done this? <laughs> no, like, you know no. you shouldn't talk to that ex or whatever. But yeah, he did something he shouldn't. I thought that was a funny way of bringing the main bad guy back into the plot. That's how he finds them is because Drax drunk dials him. He thinks he's going to have a one on one fight in which he has a chance to win. And of course, the pain of it is that this guy doesn't even remember killing his family and won't remember killing him. Although he doesn't kill him. He throws him in some yellow goo. Which would have drowned him had Groot not been there to puncture his lung and aspirate him. I mean, he's close to dead at the end of this fight. And I don't know that this works for me. Lee Pace. He's playing Ronan the Accuser. This is an actor I like. I primarily know him from a show called Pushing Daisies, which I really enjoyed. He was the sensitive pie maker who could bring people back to life. <laughs> He is a pie baker. <laughs> You'll see him again in The Hobbit. Yes, yes, I will. And I saw him in person at that press conference. He's not a big guy. And the fact that they're saying Ronan could just not even break a sweat defeating Drax. I understand you're trying to tell me Ronan is powerful, but Drax is this huge muscle-bound guy. He should at least get a lick in, but no, he just defeated out of turn. Costuming. Again, I don't care about Ronan. I feel like I should be invested in this fight. I'm not. I don't care. Move on. Let's let's get to the next action scene because I don't care about Ronan at all. Like, let's get to the end when he finally gets the stone and tries to do something bad. That's my feeling as I'm watching him. Well, I don't care about any of the fighting. I'm just going to put it out there. I think the fighting is noise and fury and lights that is used to punctuate a silly story. But I do think that the turning point here is that Drax is humbled. He thinks he can go it alone. And this is what brings him into the team, right? Because he hasn't really been a part of the team. He didn't care about splitting the profits. He didn't care about this stone. He just wanted the bad guy. Now he realizes if he wants Ronan, if he wants Thanos, he's going to have to play ball with them. Yeah, this is the moment where they hit their low and realize they've all lost things. And what this movie really is about 
is family. And that's a little bit trite. We've seen this many times before, but they've all lost their individual families, except for Rocket, who never had one, and Groot, who we don't know his story because I am Groot. But they are going to become a family, and this is the moment where they do it, where Drax is almost killed, and... Throughout all this, this is the moment here in Nowhere that all of the storylines converge because Yondu is also back. And Michael Rooker here, Walking Dead, and he was the creature in Slither, Grant Grant. And they've traced the orb to the Collector as well. So here's the moment where they're all about to die and they need to band together. And Peter Quill tries to sacrifice himself, possibly, to save Gamora floating in space. Again, we talked about this, I think, with the previous movie. How long can you survive in space before you blow up? Well, we're going to find out. Peter Quill's not quite human, and Gamora has alternations made to her DNA or whatnot from Thanos. My question is, you said they traced the orb to the Collector, the Ravengers. There's that moment where Quill, he goes out in space, he gives the mask to Gamora, and he, I thought he called Yondu, and that's why Yondu, I thought that was a really yeah. fast response. No, no, Yondu was on the planet. Okay. When Ronin shows up, and it's a little confusing because it's very fast-paced, the Collector's collection blows up, and Drax is called Ronin. We see Ronin ships coming down, but before Ronin can even land yondu's like boy and yelling at quill and so the three of them gamora rocket and quill jump in these pods they just pod jack something and start flying away and they're being chased both by yondu's ravagers and ronin's necropods or whatever and everybody's trying to get this orb this is really the big chaotic battle we're gonna have another climactic battle but here is where it's everyone versus everyone yeah and here i I think i'm like you Stuart. at this point i don't feel invested in any of this i like that prison outbreak here it is noise to me these pods all flying around not quite sure what's going on and it again so many factions we got the guardians we got the ravengers we got ronin and his people like a lot going on i don't know how much of it matters and it's just loud It was confusing to me. This was when I had to go back because the first time I'm watching it, I go in. The trailers didn't tell me anything about the villain, and I went in spoiler-free other than the trailers and the footage they'd showed. So I'm like, all right, Thanos is in this. He's the bad guy, right? Wait, no. Ronan's the bad guy? Wait, no. Yondo's the bad guy? So many factions that it took a second viewing for me to really appreciate each one's character because the first time, I'm just trying to follow along. And I think this is a movie that is rewarding repeat viewings i don't know if it's rewarding it it might make things clearer and i do think when you're dealing with a rogues gallery honor among thieves and all everyone is out for themselves there are no real teams that's what makes this unique you have to earn that that yeah everyone does feel like the enemy at some point gamora felt like an enemy at some point and then it turns yeah the movie is constantly shifting or asking us to shift our perspective about who these people are i don't like yondu yadon at first. Is that some kind of garbled, you do, you don't? Yandu, you don't? uh? I don't know. Is that a joke I don't get? I don't know. But Michael Rooker, the blue guy that was the paternal figure for Quill for the 26 years after he was abducted. The man that abducted him, in fact. I don't know that I ever come around to him. We're meant to at this moment. He quote-unquote rescues them and then talks about killing him with his whistle spear. That era was cool. He set it up a couple of times and I wondered how deadly it would be. We find out at the end that pretty badass arrow. He knows Peter's father, right? So did he come to abduct Peter to bring him to his father? 
Yeah, he was hired by Peter's father to go get Peter and deliver him. And he told Peter that they were just picking up some food. They wanted to eat a Terran. But in truth, something about Peter made Yandu decide we're not going to deliver him. We're going to make him part of the crew. And they say that Yandu's always been soft on Peter. So to be seen in 2016, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, we'll get that story. You know, talking about who is the bad guy here. Is Thanos the bad guy? Does he even matter? Does he even need to be in this film? You know, we see an earlier scene where he makes the deal with Ronan. That's why Ronan's going after this ore, because he's been promised if he could get it back to Thanos, Thanos will destroy Xander. I feel like this was just fanboy. This was to give them something. Here's your Thanos scene. It could have been cut. It could have been a hologram like he was throughout most of the beginning of this film. There's a couple of things going on here. First, I really thought they made a mistake in marketing. What do I know? The film's going to break August box office records. But I thought they made a mistake in marketing by not saying, hey, Avengers made over a billion dollars. Remember that purple guy from the end? Here he is. I would have, if I was in marketing, put him front and center to call this the follow-up to the Avengers because who the hell are the Guardians of the Galaxy? But the other thing is here you've got like the Emperor. That's the vibe I was getting off Thanos. He uh, primarily appears in hologram like the Emperor did in The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, and I say keep him secret until his big reveal, whatever movie that's going to be in. Avengers 3 is what I hear. Yeah, they signed Brolin only a couple months ago, really. This thing was filmed at the last minute. They could have gone without it. They probably would have gone without it if they didn't have an actor signed. But honestly, I don't know what Thanos is. For the non-Marvel people, for the non-you guys, the people that have never read the comic book, Thanos is not a draw. Do you know what he is now? Well, I, I'm told that he's the most powerful being in the universe. I remember something sneering at us at the end of Avengers on an asteroid. I guess that that's the same thing here, sitting in the chair when Ronan defies him. Yeah, I guess the closest comparative is Star Wars, Darth Vader to the Emperor. There's always a bigger bad beyond the bad. And I think that's a theme. There's always a paternalistic father that the characters are fighting here. Uh, okay. And it also helps establish Ronan as a credible threat. I mean, in the last movie that we saw Thanos in, Avengers, we saw Loki, who was supposedly the big bad, sniveling next to the other, played by Alexis Denisoff, who may or may not be a nihilist. Here, Alexis Denisoff came back to reprise that role, and within 30 seconds of bitching at Ronan, Ronan snaps his neck. I saw Avengers once two years ago. They have no memory. But what they're really doing, and I mean... They're trying to play coy, and I admit that maybe Joss or whoever is going to do Avengers 3 isn't completely sold on it, but the cube, the ether, this orb, they're all the Infinity Gems. Thanos wants the Infinity Gems. The statement is, Guardians, if not all of the Guardians, some of the Guardians will probably meet some of the Avengers in the future. So they are already building to Avengers 3. This isn't the last movie in Marvel Phase 2 in my mind. This is the first movie in Marvel Phase 3. Oh my god, so they really do think that they can mix this crew with the traditional Avengers. Yeah, if Thanos is going to attack Earth, yeah. I do wonder if that's just going to be a cameo of Star-Lord, like, paging Iron Man, you know, through some transmission. Hey, Thanos is on his way. I don't know how well these are going to mix. Mm. But then again, how well was a World War II soldier going to mix with a Norse god? I mean, Marvel has a real talent for taking disparate elements and making them congeal. And so I won't begin to undersell their ability to do that. But watching this movie, 
I see no Avengers in it. It feels like a parody of the Avengers. I can't imagine them playing with the real crew. Well, right after this big battle where Rodan finally gets the stone, here is your Avengers moment. You know, the Guardians need to come up with a plan. And here is where it really doesn't simply. I love the humor that's going on. How much of a plan do you have? 12% and Groot's like, I am Groot, which is that's better than 11%. Like, that's funny. But then they all have this moment where, like, they're going to stand up against evil. And I'm like, why all of a sudden do they have hearts of gold? Like, why all of a sudden is this the big pivotal emotional moment where this family comes together? That seems so forced to me. I went with it for two reasons. Peter Quill had convinced them all. I mean, this is the end of the galaxy. We're all dead already. Let's try to do something good. And second of all, they'd come together as a family. They'd hit their lowest point when they were defeated by Yandu and Ronin there. They had nothing to go on. And the last one is Rocket. And Rocket, of course, gets the best line, which I understand is an ad lib done on the set when Gunn's brother was doing the Rocket stand-in. We're all standing. Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. That still gets a laugh from me, third view. And of course, this is the turning point for Peter Quill as well. This is his character moment. If he has been a character that has been afraid to face death, to be told that you're asking us to go on a suicide mission... He has to think about that. He is thinking back to that moment with his mother. This is why he becomes the hero in the third act of the story. They're going to call it out explicitly, like, this is his deal. He has to come to terms with the death of his mother. But at one point, Rocket's going through things. He finds that present. It's just in some drawer. Why hasn't Peter opened that? And Because he can't face it. That's the character's defining point. By the end of this, he'll be able to open that. And we'll have a new soundtrack for the sequel. <laughs> well, he obviously read the letter. I mean, we see him read it at the end. It's where he got the name Star-Lord. It was his mother's nickname in that letter, my little Star-Lord. So he read the letter, but I guess he just never unwrapped the tape. I didn't need a big scene. I would have liked a line or something. I'm just like, yes, we got that present that you're hooked to. Yeah, what is that? What's in there? I just wanted a line in there. I didn't need a whole backstory. I just didn't feel I really knew what was going on until they made it very explicit at the end that this is about dealing with the death of his mother. I hang on to these moments because it's the few times that we are allowed to think of Peter beyond his jokes. And I want to think about him beyond his jokes. I don't want to just watch a, a snarky character make fun of everything. He comes off as a regressed teenager. I do want to see him grow and mature here. I do like this moment where he doesn't have a joke. He finally sits down and goes, oh yeah, I am asking you to die. I do have to look at that. I went with the moment. I really did. I felt all these characters are too altruistic from the get-go. I felt none of them had motivations other than they're good people. All of them are good people. I mean, Star-Lord jumped out of his ship to save Gamora. Gamora was betraying Ronan and Thanos because she couldn't bear to see another planet destroyed. We're told, but what I get out of all this is these people all have hearts of gold and are drawn together. They are the guardians of the galaxy. They're our heroes, and we're not going to explain necessarily why they're going to sacrifice everything to save people other than they're our heroes. Let's go with it. It's not the most satisfying, but I did indeed go with it. And it is is it any different than Han Solo? I mean, you want them to have hearts of gold. Let's just put it out there. I didn't want to find out they were secretly worse than they appear up front. No, I want to like them. That's the point. And here we get the suit up montage. Now, I know a lot of this changed in post and they cut like 15, 20 minutes out of it. 
On my second and third viewing, though, I caught something. Everybody's getting their gear on. Groot branches out, and then he plucks something off of himself. I think that is where little Groot comes from later on. I think during the suit-up scene, Groot's like, I might die. Let me put a little seedling in a pot. And earlier, he plucked a flower off himself and gave it to a little girl. I thought she was going to be the one that brings him back. Oh, uh, that's right. That seemed like that moment should have been bigger. Or have any purpose whatsoever. I'm still wondering what that entire child beggar flower scene had to do with <laughs> anything. My theory is in the sequel, there'll be another Groot. <laughs> yeah, I didn't take that hulking out scene as him prepping his next self. Earlier on, we see him like eating his leaves. It's kind of like watching someone pop their zits. Everyone was grossed out by it. I just thought it was another <laughs> joke. I'm grossed out right now. Thanks. <laughs> but I, I do love that they're playing the runaways here. I mean, that everyone was kind of bobbing their head getting into this scene because of that soundtrack. Good soundtrack. I bought it. I mean, I like all the music on it. Yeah. Did they release it on a cassette tape? Because cassettes are making their way back. Thanks a lot, hipsters. Gun is trying. <laughs> like, Gun is trying to get a limited tape release and it looks like it may be mondo who does it yeah that you're gonna make a lot of money if you do that that's my feeling but who can play it that's not the point i got a cassette <laughs> deck still and the point is not to play it the point is to have it as a memento of this yeah you're not gonna play it arnie you're not yeah. gonna degrade the quality it's gonna go into your glass case and may i just point out that is the one thing that bothered me most about this movie no cassette <laughs> can be played again and again for 25 years and still play. That thing would stretch, tear, get eaten. I'll go with even the tape heads might be still good if cleaned, but that cassette would have worn through. I, I had those same thoughts. I'm like, come on, that thing would have been eaten up by now. It would be that tape all crinkled. He should have yeah. just ripped it to his iPod. Don't they have spaceships <laughs> and laser guns? Someone has an iPod. He had a tape deck put into his spaceship. Yeah, that's the po look at his spaceship. It's full of garbage pail kids and bric-a-brac from the 80s. Troll dolls. The whole point is that he won't grow up and mature and, and upgrade. That's what's happening here. I love the fact that it's still on tape. You got to have it be the original tape. Were there garbage pail kids? I specifically noticed elf trading cards. Yeah, I don't know about the garbage pail kids. I did notice elf. Alien life form, and he'd hang around a furry brown thing later this movie, so kind of fitting. Would Rocket eat a cat? No, I think so. But then, here's the question I had for you, Jacob. Could you follow this ending battle in 2D? Because in 3D, when they're having the spaceships fight in the atmosphere of Xandar, I'm having trouble even focusing on the ships. Both viewings, two different screens and 3D types. It's like there's so much color going on here. I actually wished that this battle was in space so that the ships were more distinct against the buildings and the background. And everything's just so technocolor. It's beautiful. I love the look of this. I was thinking of Mobius, the, the ship design, that they they look kind of like stars or whatever. I, I don't get John C. Riley in this movie, but I love his ship. I covet his ship. I get who the good guys are. I, I get who the Ravenger ships are. I get who the Nova Corps ships are. I never got a sense. I, I guess they're just those pods for Ronan's side. It, it didn't seem very dynamic, but I, you're right. It is a lot of color. It is a Jackson Pollock painting here going on, but I do love some of the imagery, like when the Nova Corps, when they, I don't know, they go into Voltron mode and all combine their ships to make this giant energy field to try to stop Ronin from entering the atmosphere. Yeah, the net. They form this net. Yeah, that's cool. I also like the response by Ronin to have his ships go kamikaze and just bomb the planet. I, I was surprised that we didn't see a building topple because it was a little 9-11 to me, but they just rained destruction down. You know, one of the things I do want to compliment the film for, and, you know, sometimes you just need to see an example to get 
cliche Hollywood storytelling, but you have all these Nova Corps and to feel some kind of dramatic loss when these ships are blowing up and that energy seal is being broken. You do have to have a focus character. I don't even know the guy's name, but you have the one guy that, you know, I can't believe I'm taking orders from a raccoon. That they establish this one character and that we see him die, we see his ship loss. That that helps sell that moment of that ship breaking through. I just thought it was interesting Hollywood cliche storytelling device, but it worked to give us that one focus character of the Nova Corps to see loss. I was taken out of it because I'm pretty sure Rocket Raccoon calls him Saul. And so all I was thinking of was Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. <laughs> you know, a couple weeks ago, I went to see a different movie, and during the projection of it, it broke, and they handed everyone else a free pass. They could go see any movie they wanted, any price, at any time, whatever they could do. And I thought, oh, wow, score. I asked myself in this moment, during this battle, that if that projector broke, and they gave us those tickets, and I didn't have to go review this movie, would I come back to see the end of this film? The answer is no. Honestly, I have so little invested in this climax. I can fill in the blanks. The good guys are going to win, and it doesn't really matter how or why or who gets defeated or what. I have nothing invested in the battle. I like the characters, but I have nothing invested in the battle. My thing is I I know how this battle is going to go. I don't exactly. know every exact way. But this is where I stopped having notes to take. Yes. When I was going through it on my second time, which is my note-taking viewing, at the Zen battle, I'm like, big battle. Pretty looking. And But when they formed that net, I thought it was very cool. It reminded me of an old Star Trek episode called The Tholian Web, which Trekkies are now going to be happy I mentioned. But, I mean, I knew, his sh- I knew that Ronin's ship would break through. It wouldn't be very dramatic if he didn't get down to the planet. I also knew Xandar wasn't going to blow up because it's a Marvel movie. The question isn't how is it going to end. The question is, am I enjoying myself here? I'm enjoying myself least during this end fight. Yes. Yeah, and I don't even understand what the plan is. Like, Gamora's got to take out some energy field, and everyone else is just going to fight to get to Ronin, and then they just shoot a missile at him? Like, they got a grenade launcher? That was your plan? Like, dude has powerful sewn, we'll throw a grenade at him. See if that works. I'm going to give Gunn and... Co-screenwriter, although I understand she just wrote a draft, got credit, and Gunn used none of it, but Nicole Perlman, some credit, though, because when you have team movies, a lot of times I feel like some of the team gets pushed to the background in the end. They did a good job of giving each person a distinct role in this final fight. I mean, Drax was there to fight off the troops. Gamora was there to sabotage the ship. Rocket was there to blow a hole in the side of the ship and be the space pilot. I thought Star Wars on my first viewing. My second viewing, I was actually thinking ID4. It was very Independence Day, the way they all had their little things. and That is true. They even just turned their ships upwards and start shooting just straight up. Like, that's all they could do. Yeah, so I thought they did a good job balancing it. And they had set up this big gun, the Hadron Enforcer that Rocket had built out of spare parts from Peter's ship. I knew it wasn't going to be enough to kill Ronan. There's this brief moment where I'm like, did they really kill Ronan just by shooting him? Admittedly, it felt like blowing up the Death Star. They even stole John Williams' music from the blowing up of the Death Star. The score goes, bump, 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 bump. Yeah, you even have Drax like, we did it. Mm. And then, of course, Ronan shows right up. You know. We had Gamora, why she's trying to break this force field so the rest could get into that throne room, since we're going with Star Wars here. She has a fight with her adopted sister, Nebula, and Nebula 
We've given Nebula the short shrift this conversation. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, she doesn't do much. She, she here, I do like she gets blown up, but she has all these body modifications, so she rebuilds herself. But she cuts her hand off, and what? She just flies off. She pulls a Darth Vader from A New Hope. That Tie Fighter spins off into space, and we never see him again until the sequel. She didn't die, did she? No, no. she cut off her hand and hijacked a ship and flew off. She's coming back probably. I think that makes sense because she does have that history with Gamora. She's like, you're the sibling I hated least and still tries to kill Gamora. She's the reason Gamora was floating in space earlier. I love the look of Nebula. Karen Gillian from Doctor Who, she really shaved her head for this role. Kudos to her for going Sinead O'Connor on that. And the look of her, I liked how we thought she died at first when... <laughs> the One of the lines that got a laugh from me, even on the third viewing, is Drax like, Peter Quill, you are my friend. This dumb tree is my friend. This green whore. And then, you know, Nebula shows up and starts talking and he just hits her with a bazooka. No one talks to my friends that way. Very funny line. But yeah, I love that she recombobulated. She came back together for a fairly rote stunt sword fight. Yeah. But it does have what I think will be my last Star Wars reference for this movie. Sith Lightning, right out of Return of the Jedi, Nebula starts shocking Gamora, and just like Luke, when the Emperor's shocking her, you can see the skull and the teeth coming through, and when I saw that bone underneath Gamora's flesh, I was taken right back to the end of Return of the Jedi. Let's face it, as cool as Gamora is in fighting, they're not going to give her fights with men. In these kinds of movies, it's always girl on girl, right? And so they are going to keep Nebula around because that's the only one they feel comfortable putting Gamora against. Yeah, Gamora fought Quill earlier. I think that not real fighting, not like fight to the death fighting, which we would expect from any other character here. Rocket storms into the ship and takes out Ronan. And for a while, we don't see Ronan. I'm like, really? That, if that's how they take him out, I'm going to be ticked. Like, this is all very confusing. How did Rocket know that he needed to crash his ship in at that moment to that place to save Drax's life? How did anyone survive that crash? And then Rocket, he actually screwed up royally, right? Because Rocket kills Groot here. What he does causes that ship, the Dark Aster, to crash into the planet, A, giving Ronan just what he wanted to get on the planet, and B, it would have killed them all had Groot not used another magical power. The one thing that pisses me off in this movie, nothing is set up. They just, Quill will always have a gadget, or Groot will always have a new power that we've never seen before that is exactly what they need at that moment. Now Groot can become a safety ball of bark? Yeah, well, we see Groot when he gets his arms cut off at the beginning of the film. They take a while to grow back, and during this end fight, he's growing that extra long limb and impaling all the... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, as they're called, whatever Ronin's henchmen are, throwing them around. I love his little smile at the end of that, too. Just Yeah, he, that got a big laugh. Yeah, he's cute. He's not Groot, he's cute. You know, this is that moment. This is the family. We're going to have to sacrifice ourselves. We're going to die. I like that moment between Rocket and Groot. Rocket understanding what Groot is doing. And again, this is not groundbreaking writing, but we are Groot. That That's an earned moment for me. Yeah, I agree. I was afraid that they were going to silent Bob him. I was so afraid that at some point... He's going to give a whole lecture as they yes, crash. <laughs> yes. The fact that it's just, we are Groot, I'll go with that. You know, I think Groot is the only one in this climax that really gets 
the good like we're cheering for Groot here at the end what anyone else is doing just feels like light and noise and fury but yeah with Groot with releasing those fireflies with making that daisy chain with creating the wicker ball that's going to protect them in the crash yeah Groot has come into his own and unlike you Arnie I kind of like the idea that he has all these powers yet to be explored there's so much more to him we haven't paid much attention to him but he can probably do some amazing stuff much more than man thing ever did yeah I agree, and I was surprised. I really thought they were killing Groot here. And I'm like, well, there are five Guardians, and I could see killing one of them off. But Rocket and Groot seem to be the heart of the marketing, to kill Groot. I was loving Groot in this movie. He didn't say much, but he was consistently... The animators did such a great job of giving him those big black eyes and that adorable smile. He was always seemingly not stupid, but just dumb enough to yank the battery or not know a man from a woman, a little bit off kilter, a little bit like a pet. And the collector wanted his carcass and was going to pay him in advance for it. I really thought, oh my God, they're killing Groot. That moment hit me as hard as the mother dying in the beginning. I was sad for Groot. I heard sniffling. I honestly heard someone in the theater crying. I was kind of like, who? I was like looking back. I'm like, who? Who's going to be crying about Groot? I don't know. If I was in your theater, you might have been staring at me. Yeah, no. Oh, my God. Come on. We know they're not going to do this. I thought they were doing this. They should have done it. They absolutely should have done it and then brought him back in the sequel. It would have been so much nicer to think he was dead and then to come back with that little girl flower or whatever. But no, they want to coddle us and tell us it's all going to be okay. So we get lots of ridiculous stick and potted plant dancing to Michael Jackson. Ridiculous. That That is adorable. That's I terrible. That. I want them to take that dancing <laughs> flower, you know, the... And make it a Groot. Oh, come, come on. on. They, do not do not call that terrible. It's one of my favorite moments of the movie. Uh, I, uh, the audience was rolling on the floor during that. All sticky in their soda and popcorn from that floor, but they were loving it. But I, at the moment, as that's going down, I realized that Groot's sacrificing himself. I like Groot. I'm like you, Arnie. I, I think, you know, he is the silent giant. That is the sad moment. But as soon as, you know, I'm like, there's sticks around. They could just plant those. And that's what Rocket does. That That did not surprise me. I think the way it's edited in the final cut is that Rocket took those sticks and planted one. I still think that there's something in that suit-up sequence that mattered, though. Because those sticks look pretty charred. If I take a branch off a tree, I can't plant it and grow another tree. Well, when you're a magical living tree, perhaps. Here's my question. I wonder if it came off different in the 3D. So the ship crashes. Ronan, of course, is still alive. He's about to set off the Infinity Stone. We get a little, again, throwback to Footloose. I thought it was kind of a silly moment. Like, I didn't buy this, that Ronan, is, he delays his tactic because Peter bust a move in front of him and he's just kind of confused that was the one peter quill goofy moment that i'm like why doesn't ronan just smash it down is this dance as distracting enough and that's when i realized this isn't a serious movie at all no this is just a joke and that they're almost just sitting here with us making fun of the dark elves this is like if we were in thor 2 it's like we're just gonna laugh at these dark elves and their ridiculous speeches kudos to chris pratt for being able to pull it off and like try to bring Gamora into his dance off and things, but I did like that. Yes, yeah. It's at this point that I'm like, there's nothing serious about this movie. This movie has no stakes. Well, the whole thing is Drac. He picked up that 
machine that Rocket built, and he shoots another grenade. And I guess the way it looked in 2D, I, I was wondering, is that like all a still shot that looks really dynamic in 3D? Because I it took me a second. I'm like, well, that didn't work the first time. Why are they shooting again? I'm like, oh, they shot his sledgehammer to dislodge the stone. It didn't come off that way, though, in 2D. So I was wondering in 3D if that shot made more sense. I had no problems understanding it. I mean, I saw exactly what happened. It was a little matrixy, a little bullet timey. Yeah, in 2D, I don't think it translated quite as well. I have no idea what's going on at this moment. All that I know is that we're expected to believe that in this moment, they become the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, it was. they were mocked as the Guardian. Ronan mockingly calls them the Guardians of the Galaxy because they are ridiculous. Okay, yeah, this derisive term becomes real, and they all hold hands. Remember, go back to that first scene, take my hand, and he wouldn't do it. Well, and they have to call it out because I feel like they didn't establish that very well with Peter. So, yeah, they literally have to show the mom again asking for his hand. Was that the only one thinking about X3 when Peter Quill is starting to break apart and he turns his head? <laughs> it's reminding me of Professor X. Don't let it consume you. It was just that same kind of floating, head-turning disintegration thing. And they did set this up with the Collector. The Collector mentions how a group of people could briefly wield the stone, and then it destroyed them. So it's not all new. They dropped lines about it. But yes, the four Guardians must combine their life essence to control the stone and hopefully finally kill Ronan. He disappears in a flash of light, so I just don't know. Maybe he went to the Purgatory with the Red Skull, but... I kind of hope he's dead. He's coming back. Come on. This is, he's as dead as Loki. He's as dead as the next scripts want him to be. There's a door open if they want him back. Comics, everybody. Yep. But no, this is the formation of the team. And when Peter finally finds out there's something more to him, lucky for exposition, the Nova Corps scanned him and it's like, some of you is Terran. Some of you is something very ancient we've never seen before. As Guardian. Why do they know that now and not when they initially got him? They figured it out when they scanned him at the prison. I think they're just telling him now. Okay. Because we had a whole scene of breaking down everyone one by one. It could have been there. They had to run some diagnostic test. Test okay. some blood. Uh, your answer is they. there's no good reason. Okay. Got it. <laughs> I don't think that's what I said, but okay. It is. It actually is. That, it is truly. We can, we can give this movie a reason, but it is needless exposition at the end. I was frustrated. Not... Like Amazing Spider-Man frustrated, but frustrated that they have so many dropped clues to this father figure and it never pays off. The one thing that they'd said going in is this would be a one-off film. And then when pre-release Buzz took this from a originally projected $35 million opening to a $70 million opening, they're like, we'll do a sequel. But I never expected them to just leave so many unanswered questions on this kind of thing. Really? Well, I don't know if you ever saw the original Pirates of the Caribbean. I swore, like, the main pirate was going to be the dude's father. He kept talking about how he lost his father. I'm like, that's going to be the reveal. I almost was wondering if Yondo was going to reveal that. I was wondering the whole time, I'm like, you got to explain why Peter was abducted, and they finally do throw out a line, well, I'm glad we didn't return him to his father. I'm surprised you guys don't realize that Marvel doesn't do one-offs. This was never going to be a tightly constructed one-off story. They knew very well they were building Unless their- it's the Hulk. Yeah, That's well, their one-off. Well, but they didn't build it that way. They don't build them that way. They build everything to expand. And yeah, they've got to keep some mysteries under wraps for you to want to come back. I mean, the movie ends with, I want you back. You gotta want him back. You gotta want to go back and find out who his father is. That's got to be a compelling mystery, presumably. It isn't for me, but yes, that is why they don't tell us. And maybe they don't know yet. 
But you know what? I'd heard a rumor going into this movie. I'd bet big on this rumor. I actually had a Marvel artist do an original piece of work for me of Howard the Duck with the Guardians of the Galaxy logo. And I did this before seeing the movie when I was at San Diego Comic-Con. And I was hoping, because for listeners who don't know, some... Howard the Duck props went up on auction recently. I have a lot of Howard the Duck merchandise from that 1986 film now. I'm like, this is going to go up in value if Howard appears. <laughs> yep. So optimistic. Is it for sale? <laughs> it isn't. Can I buy Jeffrey Jones face molds from you now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't imagine you parting with it. You might tell yourself you're collecting it for its value, but the truth of the matter is its value is entirely sentimental and your obsession with trash of the 80s. Yes, I do have face molds of Jeffrey Jones on my theater wall now. So I was hoping, I was really hoping Howard the Duck speaks, Seth Green voiced him, in the post credit sequence. That Howard looks awful, man. That whew, that was rough looking. That looked like a last-minute addition. Yeah, they should have brought back Ed Gale and got out that old costume. Yeah, this, that suit looked better than that thing. He was still wearing pants. We often wondered, now that Disney owns Marvel, does Howard have to wear pants? Yet The answer is yes. Gunn confirmed in an interview that, yes, Disney said... Howard needs his pants. He can't look too much like Donald. Look, it was spoiled. There was a million people that posted on our page, Howard the Duck is at the end of this movie. I was a little let down. Is there a joke I don't get? Is the joke just that that it's Howard the Duck? It Just that it's Howard the Duck. We see the dog... The dog is licking the collector, and he says, you let him do that. I, I was trying to find... There's nothing else. Stuart, Stuart, references. Okay. References. That is the new form of humor, references. Okay. There is no joke to be had, except, hey, Howard the Duck, remember that old movie? Yes. I remember it because we spent hours talking about it. It's not something I necessarily want to go back to. But Oh, don't tell me this isn't a drop-the-mic, walk-off-stage moment for now playing. Howard the Duck is back. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) It started where it ended. It's all full circle. I like references, and I like that Marvel has this big universe that it can pluck stuff from, but usually I'm accustomed to thinking that the end credits is a tease for what's to come. They're not actually bringing him back. This is a punchline. This is not a thought that he would be teaming up with them in Guardians 2. Oh, but the reaction is so good, I wouldn't put it past a bigger Howard role in the future. No, just improve that CGI, because that was ugly. That really was. I, I seriously think that he looked better in the 80s than he did here, but I like that he was drinking liquor. I mean, he's still a foul duck. Well, Jacob Stewart, we got some business to attend to before all the nookie nookie starts. Is Guardians of the Galaxy something good, something bad, a bit of both? Jacob. I'm glad you gave me those options because it's definitely one of those. I guess that covers all your bases, though. <laughs> I, you know, it is a bit of both for me. Uh, going into this, I I was kind of excited. I liked the humor that I saw in the trailers, the spaceship fights, the action. I'm like, okay, it looks fun, you know. Can I get a fun version of Star Wars where the characters can laugh and they're not so wooden? You know, I, I haven't been on the Star Trek retrospective, but I like the J.J. Abrams stuff. I'm not a huge Star Trek fan. I like that he Star Wars did up and made those kind of serious sci-fi films a bit more fun so that was my approach with this film can it be a fun space opera and yeah it's pretty fun 
but I, I hear people saying, oh, th- this may be better than the Avengers. I hear that with every Marvel film that comes out. Better than the Avengers. And here, I think I'm starting to see why. All these Marvel films are more or less the same. It's just, it's just a different, you know, just like Tony Stark has 300 different Iron Man suits. This is just another Iron Man suit. There's another shiny thing they're chasing. Another rote villain that I don't care anything about. Your heroes are Marvel heroes. They're swarmy. They joke around. There's there's a human element to them. And so, is it better than the Avengers? Is it better than Iron Man? No. But, you know, when I'm looking at my ranking for these Marvel Cinematic Universe films, it actually ranked pretty high. It was fourth for me after Winter Soldier, Iron Man, and Avengers because I had a good time. I, I don't take any of this too seriously. I should have taken my friend's advice and stopped paying attention and worrying about all these different planets and all these different treaties and all that. Because in the end, it doesn't matter. It's about, are you having a good time in this film? Do you like the jokes? Do you like the cockiness of these heroes? You know, a whole team made up of Tony Starks. In Iron Man, though, Tony Stark, I felt he had a redeeming quality. There was a character arc. Yeah, are there character arcs here? Maybe. That's not the important thing. The important thing here is the jokes. If you want to go out and laugh and have a funny space adventure, yeah, I recommend this film. It's not stronger week. It's just a regular old recommend. Stuart. All right. Uh, stay with me. I got to get through a lot of hoops to get to answer your question here. All right. Up front, the first response is, this is not really my thing. To me, this is a time waster. This is something you watch while you're waiting for something else to do. It blows my mind that people were excited for this, that they couldn't wait, that I hear people talking about this being the best Marvel movie. Yeah, that blows my mind. To me, this is silliness. I, the movie reference, I had lots of them in my head. The one I went back to, the one that it felt most akin to was Tank Girl, where you have this sort of slightly amusing anti-hero smarming it up, in a plot that really doesn't matter at all, and you just kind of go with it as long as you can hang in there because it's funny. And to me, it was only kind of funny. And after a while, I just didn't care. But the bar that I set for myself was Thor 2, right? Was this worse than Thor 2? That is your damning... (laughs) It is. It makes me wonder, should I recant that? Should I have higher standards? Because you know why I said that. I said that because I had just seen Thor 2 and Iron Man 3 in the same year, and Disney had acquired Marvel, and I thought, okay, this is as good as it gets. They're going to Disneyfy these characters. We're never going to get something as good as Iron Man again. And then we got Winter Soldier, and now I realize I don't have to be so afraid of always having to watch a kiddie property that I won't really like, but can give a pass to to those that like kiddie properties. I don't know. Is this better than Thor 2? The plot isn't. Its spirit is. The characters are. But the plot really isn't. And it brings me to my last point of contention. If I'm reviewing it for others, my kids, for example, you know, I've just gone through a series, Ninja Turtles where I don't care about that property either, can I give it a green arrow just because, well, you know, I think some people are going to love it. My 12-year-old, if I saw it with my imaginary children, would love this. It's perfect for them. It's so full of pluck and smarm, and it's just it's teenage-level humor. It really works that way. So should I give it a green arrow for my kids? I don't know. And according to the listeners, your kids have bad taste. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is certainly better than Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, which I somehow recommended. So (laughs) it's tough. I honestly, I think I have to just get back to be my own principles that ultimately I have to say whether I personally enjoyed it or not. I've, I've allowed my reviews lately to go off the range and think about imaginary people's taste. And no, for me, this is a mile not recommend. Honestly, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. 
it. I was rather indifferent to the whole thing. And I think that if you don't get the jokes, I think if you want to know what this movie is for you, if you watch the trailers and you've laughed, go for it. If you watch the trailers and you didn't laugh, it's not going to get any funnier. And and that is what I experienced. I was never sold on this concept. I always thought it was weird. And yeah, it just isn't my thing. I don't want any more of this. You know, that's the truth of the matter is I'm kind of done with this concept. It was interesting as a one-off, but that they're going to continue on is actually a little disheartening and makes me wonder, is this the further Disneyfication of Marvel? Uh, when I saw the trailer for Big Hero 6, oh boy, we'll talk about it when we talk about what we're doing for the rest of the year. But I don't know that this is a step in the right direction for Marvel. But if you want my recommendation for a funny version of a stunted maturity story with alien malarkey, go watch The World's End. I love that movie. I can like this kind of movie. I just didn't like this particular brand of comedy. So mild not recommend. But it's not a badly made film. I called that when I first saw the movie. I'm like, you know what? Going into this movie with the trailers and everything and the pre-release buzz. I mean, our listeners were posting on our wall, 100% Rotten Tomatoes score. I'm like, well, well, all right. Going in, I'm like, we're all going to love this. We're going to declare it the best Marvel movie. You were won over by that 17 minutes. I really was. Although I contextualized it to you guys at the time saying, I still don't know what the plot of the movie is. I enjoyed the 17 (laughs) minutes I saw, but I couldn't tell you anything about the plot. It was the prison break scene. But walking out, I'm like, this will get at least one not recommend. Not from me, but from one of you two, probably Stuart, because I saw Green Lantern and I saw Thor 2 in this. And I'm like, this probably wouldn't be Stuart's movie. But it sure as hell was my movie. I enjoyed this. I saw it three times and loved every minute of it. I'm going again today. Wow. Yeah. Really? Really? Wow. I I don't ever want to see this again. I'll be honest. And I, again, I didn't dislike it, but I just, I never want to see this again. I probably wouldn't go again today, except for the fact that I made some promises to some friends, but I felt I had to see it three times for now playing. If it wasn't for now playing, I'd see this two times opening weekend because of now playing four. But no, the question isn't if this is a recommend from me, because every viewing I've had a fun, fun time watching this movie. The question for me is just how strong of a recommend is it? And it turns out not to be as strong as I had predicted walking into the theater. The humor worked for me, but the story is literally as irrelevant as Thor 2's. The thing is, Thor 2 got a recommend from me just because of Loki, because it had that great character in it for far too little of the movie. And that was enough, though. Tom Hiddleston was enough to push it over the edge. Well, here, it's the same kind of movie, but with four Lokis and Gamora. And I don't call Gamora not a Loki because she's a woman. I call her that because she's the only not funny member of this cast. And really, she's, despite being green, she's the most bland. She has the least going on of these characters. I can quote you lines from all other characters. Groot is very easy to quote. But <laughs> other than pelvic sorcery, Gamora doesn't get a lot of lines. I was just going to say, that's the one line. <laughs> I mean, that's her only funny line, and that's... Really, it feels like a Drax line that they gave her. So, yes, it is a recommend. And I think I put it right where you put it, Jacob. It's not Iron Man 1, Avengers, or Winter Soldier for me. Winter Soldier did for me what it did for you, Stuart. It made me go, you mean they can make movies that don't suck after Avengers? I mean, Iron Man 3 and Thor 2, I think they coasted on some Avengers goodwill with me. Those movies have not improved with time Mm. to me. I wish I could not recommend Thor 2. The more I think about it, the more I realize that never should have happened. And I wish I could recommend Howard the Duck. So maybe we need to do some retconning on our archives page. 
but Captain America the Winter Soldier gave me hope. And going in, I'm like, could this actually be better than that great movie? Could Marvel really have me contending? I mean, I realize they're two totally different flavors of film, so it's hard to rank them next to each other. In the end, though, Captain America 2 had a great plot with a great twist and good villains. This one... This is an origin story movie. How many times have we discussed that? And the origin story has to focus on the characters and the villains are always given short shrift. I will say this. Of all the Marvel origin movies, this one has the best villains. This is better than Abomination, better than Ironmonger, better than Red Skull. It's not saying much, though. That That is my point. And better than Loki. Wow, better than Red Skull? Really? Yeah. I think that- it's about the same. You're right. You're right. When you think about the Red Skull we were given. Yeah. Yes. Not the Red Skull historically. The Red Skull specifically from the first Avenger. Here, I think that they had a good job of really making distinct henchmen. Thanos, Nebula, Ronan, they're all really visually interesting. They all have their own motivations that go with it. They all have their own unique relationships with the villain, especially when you start adding in Yondu and all of that. So, no, I really like all the characters in this film. I just wish that the bad guys were given a little bit more and that this movie felt so frantic. And that's something else that I'm just, this is the aesthetic of movie where they're not going to be given time to breathe. There's never going to be that moment where audience members with ADD choose to go refill their popcorn or go to the bathroom. Editors are now cutting those moments out of films. It's going to be action, 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 action. And there's not going to be those moments that I want where I get to connect with a character when things aren't exploding. Star Trek 2009 should have taught me that. This movie drove it home. But no, it's definitely a strong recommend for me anyway. I I wish it was even better. I wish that I was jumping from the ceiling screaming, go see this movie. But no, in the end, it's just a really good time of a movie. And I like that. And I'm glad we're getting more. I want to see what they can do now that the origin story is done. Give me a real story, not an origin story. We've got this team out there. And my guess is the sequel is the last movie of Phase 3. I called this one the first movie of Phase 3. But the next one, I think, will be the last, ending with a direct lead into Avengers with Thanos. Thanos is our big bad. He's been teased to us now for almost three full years They said he would be the villain of Avengers 3. The Guardians are going to be the ones who are chasing him to Earth, I bet. And how you can have that many characters in a movie and not make it a fuster cluck? Good luck, Joss. Glad it's not me. (laughs) And here's the thing. Like, I am recommending this movie, not necessarily a Guardians franchise. If it wasn't for now playing, this didn't win me over enough to want more. Mm -mm. This is a fine one-off. I don't know if I want to see this team again. I don't know if the jokes are going to work a second time around. Yeah, I agree. Parody doesn't sequelize well. We've discussed this with Red 2 and sometimes when they made sequel comedies. It's never as funny the second time. You can make something as exciting, as action-packed, or even more so. I've never seen a sequel that I thought was so much funnier than the original. We've had our jokes. We've had our laughs for whatever they're worth. I don't want any more. And I wonder, you know, your reaction, Arnie, mirrors my theater. The audience was appreciative. They laughed. They awed. They clapped. But they did not give this the best movie send-off of all time. And yet when I look at the internet and the inflated sen- – it's like everyone went and saw a movie and said, I liked it, and then came home and saw the hype and said, best movie of all time. I, I think everyone will wake up from that hangover a year from now, two years from now, and realize that it was just a funny lark and not the best <laughs> Marvel movie. Well, probably because Marvel will have another poor villain, shiny object to chase, same story, different Iron Man suit. 
Well, the other thing is, Stuart, realize the internet is a binary medium. It's delivered in zeros and ones, and all I seem to read on there are zeros and ones. It's either yes. the best movie of all time or the worst. You're right. You're right. I rarely read a review that says seven or six. It's <laughs> it's ten or zero. Yep. Yeah, but we've got a lot of shows coming up before we get even to Avengers. I mean, the people who donated for our now over spring donation drive know, but I don't think we've told anyone else that we have a lot of movies coming up after Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, including, Stuart, you're going to be wishing again for Thor 2 when I take you out to the cornfield with Children of the Corn nine times. Yeah, some of them should be better than Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but not many. I'm predicting in the night shift drudgery that we put ourselves through, we're going to get through that book. It should be said, if you have decided that you don't like our Stephen King shows because we're doing all of these really low-rent movies, it ends with corn. And if you enjoy us talking about really bad movies, you're going to love the nine podcast of Children of the Corn. But we're not going to do them all in one lump. I don't think anyone would want to do that much corn at one sitting. We're going to break it up with some movies I do want to see, the films of Christopher Nolan that we haven't covered, starting with his little itty-bitty black-and-white original following debut through Memento, Insomnia, The Prestige, and all the way to his new sci-fi Kubrickian epic, Interstellar. It felt like we had to do this retrospective. Every time Nolan came out with a movie, Stuart was like, it's on the schedule. It's unmoving. We will move heaven and earth before we move a Nolan film. I'm like, well, let's just go and do the rest. We've only done Batman and uh, Inception. Yes, but when Interstellar made it, I noticed a theme. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and come on, Arnie, you have caused a lot of hype, at least for the prestige people want to know. You brought that one up multiple times. I think I'm looking forward to watching nine Children of the Corn movies more than I'm looking forward to watching The Prestige a second time. Uh, only you. Oh, only boy. you are feeling that way. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think anyone will agree with that. Even people that like Children of the Corn movies. But okay. Yeah, that'll be an interesting discussion. Hey, you know what? I've only seen it the one time and the reaction was so bitter. I'm looking forward to... All right, I'm not. But I will revisit it, and maybe <laughs> maybe I was too extreme the first time. We'll find out. You've seen 2001 now. I think that's an important perspective to have. For the prestige? Yeah, the monolith's in it. It is? Yep. We'll talk about it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I'm looking forward very much to Memento, one of my favorite movies of all time, the movie that made me a Nolan fan. So it's going to be a good series. I'm like, if we're doing all of his new stuff, let's go back and do his old stuff, even if it does mean that we don't get to harvest all of our corn by Thanksgiving. And it also means that opening the same day, but will have to be delayed a week. Because heaven and earth will move before Nolan. And because nobody here wants to sit through Big Hero 6, I'm presuming. <laughs> Come on, guys. This should not be covered. I can't believe we're calling this a Marvel movie. They, it is a Marvel, a Marvel movie. movie. Yeah, we're not calling it a Marvel movie. It is a Marvel movie. It's the first Marvel animated feature. Oh, my God. You saw this thing with the balloon, right? This wacky slapstick <laughs> thing that they foisted on me. I like I, the look of horror on my face. I, it would probably entertain many people that seem to enjoy my misery. Bring your kids. Perhaps just drop your kids off at the theater. And don't go in. Uh-uh. No, I wouldn't do that to a child. This is awful. It looks kind of cute and funny in a pixel. Kind of way. 
Uh, it's winning me over with the trailers. I was a little bit disheartened at oh, first, no. but no. And Disney animation, they're on a good streak with Wreck-It Ralph and Frozen, and this is the next one in line. I mean, if you look at those trailers, they're pushing from the people who brought you Wreck-It Ralph and Frozen much more than they're pushing Marvel. You have to squint to see Marvel's mention. Stuart, let it go. <laughs> Accept your fate. <laughs> <laughs> I I do, but I will watch Interstellar first. You're not going to ask me on that Friday to go see that instead of the new Christopher Nolan movie. No way. Admittedly, I'm just happy that I'll get to see like a 10 o'clock kitty free showing. <laughs> I'll be like going on a school night. You'll be the only one. Yeah. There's also another Marvel-ish movie happening. Kingsman we'll be seeing in theaters. It's not Marvel Studios proper. It's Fox movie, but uh, Spy Caper from the creators of Kick-Ass. Yeah, published through that icon imprint, just like Kick-Ass. And this is Matthew Vaughn. He's returning. Yeah, Matthew Vaughn, director of Kick-Ass, doing a comic by Mark Millar, writer of the Kick-Ass comic. I mean, the Kingsman... It looks like red to me. It really does. It looks like so yep. many of these movies. With kids, though. It's the opposite end of red. Yeah. I probably wouldn't see it if it wasn't for the pedigree of the behind-the-scenes talent involved. But given that, I'd see it with or without now playing. And I'm excited for that one because I am such a Matthew Vaughn fan. After X-Men First Class, I'll see anything he does. It doesn't look like it would be a great franchise, but if it's a one-off, and it looks like a fun world to explore once. I'm down for it. It doesn't look like a comic book movie, and I'm getting a little comic book fatigued. Well, that's what's coming up on our primary feed, and let's go ahead and announce our fall donation series. Just in case some people decide not to listen to Children of the Corn shows, we'll tell you now what we're doing. And it's going to be different than any donation series we've ever done before. This is the first time we're offering a la carte donation series. So all the details are at our website. They're going to be posted this week. And then and the donation podcast start coming out in early September. But for silver level, we're going to give you six Lord of the Rings films, all the Peter Jackson ones. Right. To remind everyone, that original trilogy from a decade ago, Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, Return of the King, plus the new Hobbit trilogy will conclude in December. We're going to tie into that. But we're not going to tie it in with the other series that we're going to do, because I believe there are some people that won't want to hear about Leprechaun. Yes, it is finally upon us. I have fought it for years. As long as I've been on the show, I have always imagined that getting to Leprechaun is the same thing as being done. Like, there's <laughs> nothing else to talk about. We're covering a stupid little man in a green hat killing people with clovers. Hey, we just talked about Batista, the WWE wrestler here. We'll get to talk about Hornswoggle with that series. <laughs> Another wrestler. Hey, I got to talk to the director of Leprechaun Origins at Comic-Con this year. We'll be posting that video to our YouTube channel when we start the series. It's something. <laughs> yeah, so important to stress, if you love Lord of the Rings and you love Leprechaun, you will get rewarded with extra podcasts in which we are calling a platinum level donation where you get seven Leprechaun movies, six Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies, and three animated Lord of the Rings films. Because before Peter Jackson, there still were Tolkien Hobbit movies, the 1977 TV special, the 1978 rotoscoped Lord of the Rings, and another TV special in 1980, Return of the King. So we're not encouraging you to love Lord of the Rings and Leprechaun, but if somehow you do, you will get 
more shows than we've ever offered before. Yes, that is a total of 16 bonus podcasts. I'll be honest, it's a hard workload for us to do. We have been planning this months in advance so that we can balance the load because it's a lot of work because these aren't short conversations by any means. They're not short films. No. Maybe those Leprechaun ones are, but these Jackson films, (laughs) anything but brief. Yeah, they're films with short people, but they're not short conversations. So this is a lot. And we're trying something new by offering silver and gold as separate options there because we heard your feedback last fall. Some people who liked Psycho didn't like Edgar Wright. I don't know how anyone could not like Edgar Wright. I personally worship the man, but... Marvel Studios doesn't like Edgar Wright. Yeah, I'm siding with Wright on that as well. But we heard your feedback. We're trying this experiment. We always want to try new things and not become complacent. So let us know what you think of these options and... We'll take that feedback into the future. So all the details posted at nowplayingpodcast.com. You can donate today. There's not a podcast coming out for about another month. Like I said, they take some time for us to get ready. But all of that is available. And these podcasts are only available for the rest of 2014. When New Year's Day comes, they go into the vault. So thank you all for your support. We appreciate it. And we'll talk more about those when the podcasts are actually ready starting in around mid-September. But now, Stuart, I know you said you're tired of comic book movies. we got another one next week. We're going to theaters again next week. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Heroes with Megan Fox. And Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the director of Battle Earth, or whatever that was. Yeah, I, this is not uh, Texas Chainsaw 2. I mean, what am I to hope for, honestly? We'll find out next week. I hope the concessions are really good. <laughs> You're going to be doing shots during it again. Like, what movie was that? (laughs) Red, too. That's right. Oh, yeah, I didn't pick that theater. I already brought my ticket, but it's too expensive to have a meal there. I I look forward to see what you think of the Milk Duds. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll talk about that next week. So, Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, I am Groot! lived most of my life surrounded by my enemies, I will be grateful to die among my friends. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Now Playing Avengers Retrospective Series. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. This is a whole new level of weird... I don't feel inclined to step away from it. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, go to our archives, where you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics movie series, such as X-Men, The Fantastic Four, Blade, and Punisher, plus DC Comics reviews of Green Lantern, Batman, and Superman. Good luck keeping up. We also have non-comic-based movie reviews such as Star Trek, Terminator, Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Tron, and many more. I'm bringing the party to you. You will also find individual movie reviews such as Cowboys and Aliens, Avatar, and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. We made this thing, all of us. Please. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. Here we remain as a beacon of hope, shining out 
to cross the stars. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. You've seen what he becomes, right? I have. And it's beautiful. Godlike. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You have to explain statement. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. Get yourself something nice for me. I already did. And? Oh, it's very nice. And very tasteful. Now Playing's Avengers Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. I've moved on to the next one because that's what we do, right? I mean, that's the job. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Wow. You spoke to me with what you did, and I know that you knew that I'd be listening. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or Marvel Studios, Paramount Pictures, Universal Pictures, or the Disney Company. The Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, The Incredible Hulk, and all that the Marvel Universe contains are the property and trademark of the Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. You really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved. Any last words? Hulk! Smash! Now forget this. Hey, I may be an a-hole, but I'm not 100% a dick. This is Jacob. I heard that line, and I knew how you were opening this podcast, Jacob. The only I, I, in, in case you took that one, I was going to talk about how everyone succumbs to my pelvic sorcery. I knew that was your plan B. <laughs> I had money on the pelvic sorcery one. I, in fact, I thought 100% dick until I rewatched. I'm like, pelvic sorcery, 100% dick. I knew I knew where Jacob's interests lie. Yeah. In the groin. <laughs> I didn't see this in 3D, Sutton. Good old TD. <laughs> Isn't that a Sutton. disease? It is. Yeah, tuberculosis. So. <laughs> Star-Lord point. It's hard to say Star-Lord. There's just too many R's. <laughs> no, that's why no one does. <laughs> <laughs> and I can definitely draw the parallels. I think Gamora is as humorless and tough as Princess Leia. Mm, you're probably right. I mean, I'll, maybe we'll come up with a reason to see Star Wars again. I don't know. What could it be? What could be in our future that would make us want to see that? Never Star Wars, <laughs> I have said. Never. Well, actually, I said if they had made a sequel, thinking that was a safe bet. You said never Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I've always liked her physicality. I always thought she she does well in a fight. I like her physically. Does that count? <laughs> 
for families. Honestly, this is one you could take your kids to. Except for the Jackson Pollock painting line. <laughs> no, no, no one would get that. No yeah. one would get that that wouldn't know what's going on. If you've had the birds and the bees talk, they'll get it. But if you haven't, they won't. And they won't I don't ask think in it. my birds and bees talk, black light <laughs> cleanliness came into play. Perhaps your parents used a black light, and that's how they knew they had to have the talk. <laughs> my parents didn't have a talk. I had a porno shop. <laughs> yes, we know. You, you talked about that during Turtles. <laughs> we spend all of our child movie reviews talking about your pornography collection. <laughs> Big gun, the Hadron Collider. Is that what it was? Or No, that's a real scientific yeah, thing. Yeah, they had a Hadron Collider. I didn't hear that, but yeah, that's... You can go to Europe and... and <laughs> okay, no, then I just... Went that was the thing that was going to punch a hole in our universe and suck us all into a black hole a few years ago. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> we do a little throwback again to... I want to say Dirty Dancing, but that's not it. Footloose. Uh, footloose. <laughs> I was kind of waiting for that with... What's his name? Udonta? Ukanda? Yeah, I don't know. Yondo. <laughs> Yondo, is that it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he's still a foul duck. That was not an intended pun. <laughs> and until next time, I am Groot! Which could mean Avengers Assemble, right? Could mean anything. Could, yes. Yes. I thought about my entire plaza being, I am Groot. <laughs> you should have gone that way. <laughs> That's a fake laugh. It's real!